there. It is a new year, so you know what that means. I got my friend Ray over here, and we're going to talk about some movies. That's right. Glad to be here. Good. How you been doing? Doing well, man. Good, good. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. Have a good holiday? I did. It was uh, hectic, but fun. Yeah. Did a lot of visiting with family and friends, so it was nice to be able to get out there and see everyone, and, yep. and now I'm back in my little... Hiding dungeon and <laughs> seal myself away from society for a bit. <laughs> you got to recharge. Exactly. It's important. Sometimes it takes months and, and you know, maybe a year to recharge. It got to do it. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> Whatever works. So did you see a few movies last year? Are you going to have something to talk about? I saw a couple hundred. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was kind of slacking last year. I, I started catching up on some TV shows and then... Really fell into the YouTube rabbit hole for a bit there. While yeah. I was playing some mindless video games and we just had something on in the background. Yeah. Because didn't really need to focus too much on one or the other, so I was sure. able to multitask with it. So I kind of did that most nights just to unwind. That's awesome. Yeah. But not not quite so much for some of these lists. I'm, I'm sure there's stuff I very easily could have put in here, but, you know. Yeah. We're, we're going to make do with what we got. Exactly. It's what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hit it real hard at the beginning of the year last year. I think I had hit like 100 movies within like the first, what, three or four months or something. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was crazy. And then I totally slacked off. <laughs> I mean, for, for me, I guess, yeah. after that. But, I mean, you know. That's your busy season anyway. Exactly. Summertime. Summer hits, we get, I get pretty busy playing, so we don't have mm. a lot of times. And that's obviously weekends, so my weekends are pretty much shot for movie watching, so. But I was able to get some in there. Good, yeah. So I've got some numbers for mine. I don't know if you yeah. typed anything down either. I did. So I've watched, let's see, 105 movies. So okay. nowhere near your output. So, But from 2022, I saw 23 movies for the first time. There was a couple of rewatches in there also, but I only did first time deaths. And then movies for the first time that were not released in 2022, I saw 39. Nice, that's a good so number. So we're going to do a, a top 10 from the 23 this year, or last year, and then 10 from the 39 throughout all of history. Yeah, for mine, I did 231 total movies. Ooh. 161 were first-time watches, so 70 rewatches. And of those 231, 70 of those movies were released in 2022. Ooh, wow. So everything else was older. So you average about five and a half a month. Pretty yeah, good. it's it, it actually surprised me. I'm usually right around forty to fifty from the year they release, mm-hmm. but this year they did a lot more streaming. You know, it was a lot faster. True. Um, yeah. That way, and then also, uh, I mean, I I do the A list with AMC, so I'm able to knock out a few. You know, what I'm able to get over there a few right. times. But yeah, you can knock those out pretty quick, so that helps. But I think this is this might be the most I've watched in a year of those films, like so the, the year they were re- released or whatever. I think that might be the most I've I've seen actually seventy. I forgot I was gonna actually look that up. How many were released in twenty twenty two? How many films? Oh okay. I'm not sure. Um, I know it's usually like three hundred plus. So yeah, that's crazy. Oh yeah, people that are able to watch all of the released. Movies. Oh yeah, some so, of these podcasts you yeah. listen to and like, man, they watch three or four movies a week and talk about them. It's been crazy. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, in theory, it would be a lot of fun, but, man, that's just a, that's a lot, too. Yeah, I mean, some of them, it is their full-time job. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Even then, like, yeah, you, 
Yeah. It'd be real easy to get burned out on it that. It would man. be, yeah. But yeah, Especially I, with some of those things that get released. Like, oh, really? I got to watch I that? I know, exactly. Yeah. But I, I that's why I like to, you know, go back and watch older movies too. Especially, I mean, there's a, I'm realizing I have a pretty big blind spot, especially for like real early. I was looking at all the best picture winners. Like, I haven't seen any of the first like 20 or whatever. Never seen them. So that's something to go back and watch. I think really before Casablanca, I'm like, I haven't seen any of those. Which I don't know if that would be really that interesting anymore. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how how well they actually hold up. Exactly. Yeah, it'd, it'd be interesting to watch them, anyways. Some uh, blind spots to fill for sure. The only other thing I had before we get going, I should have mentioned this to you, so I'm just kind of putting you on the spot, I guess, I if you want to do it also. But I did a favorite rewatch. So oh, nice. Uh, it's not not anything you know I'm going to talk about here because it's we're just talking about first time movies. But this was my favorite rewatch of the movie of the year. And it was seeing Jaws for the first time in a theater in 4K. They did a yeah a restoration re-release in Edwardsville and went to see that in the middle of the summer. And uh, man, just, I would probably agree because so I, cool. I saw that too, and that was yeah. probably my favorite. Uh, that was amazing. Yeah, yep. I, I've seen that film more than any other movie in my history of life. I think, and yeah. I still caught things that I never noticed before. Yeah, it's it's awesome seeing it on the big screen like yeah, that for it sure. Really was. Yeah, I definitely. Yeah, that's def- definitely up there for me for rewatch. I didn't really think about that, but that one, I saw uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark at the St. Louis Symphony, so they played the score live with the movie. Yeah. Um, it's always a great experience. You can never really hear the dialogue and some of the sound effects very well. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that was last year. I saw uh, Jurassic Park this year. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. So Jurassic Park at the St. Louis Symphony. Um, that was fantastic as well. But yeah, it's, it's a good experience, but like if you've never seen the movie, you obviously don't want to see it like that the first time because you can't hear There's certain things you won't be able to make out. Yeah. I mean, the score is just iconic and one of my all-time favorites. So to see the watch the symphony play, it was awesome. I mean, they killed it. It sounded so great. That's cool. Yeah. They are pretty talented. Oh, yeah. The St. Louis symphony. Oh, yeah. Are they? Okay. Top notch. Excellent. Excellent players. Yeah, if you ever get a chance to see, they do probably 10 movies a year. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I know they do, they usually do like a Harry Potter um, one towards Christmas. Uh, they almost always do a John Williams score, so you're going to see a Spielberg movie, okay. most likely. Yeah. They've done Lord of the Rings trilogy before, Pirates of the Caribbean. I mean, they've done tons of them. I just, I've seen The Godfather mm-hmm. there, Psycho there. I mean, several of them. But yeah, that's, I mean, anytime you can see a John Williams score one, that's, that's always the best. And where is that at? The Powell Symphony Hall, in oh. St. Louis. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right by the Fox Theater. Nice. Shout out to them. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll go ahead and get started if you're ready. Yeah, for sure. We'll go ahead and start as we have here in the past with the movies from previous years. Since you're the guest, I'll let you decide. Do you want to go first? Do you want to go second? Let's see. I, I'll, I'll go, I guess. Okay. I'll start off this one. Okay. So for my um, top ten, the first time watches, uh, basically... You know, older older movies that I've, I've seen for the first time last year. So I'm starting that list. I would say most of these aren't really in any particular order for the first, I don't know, five or six. And then I kind of, you know, sorted them out pretty good. But these bottom ones are pretty much all the same for me. The first one is Alligator from 1980. Hmm. Have you seen this? I have not. Oh, Sounds like a horror it. movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it's a creature feature, which is, I love creature features. Mm-hmm. So pretty much... I'm in automatically. <laughs> it doesn't have to be really great for me to enjoy it. It just has to look decent and have some, you know, some maybe some decent thrills or something like that. But this one actually it really surprised me by how how good it is and 
I've seen it advertised several times and I remember the VHS cover art from when I was a little kid and it scared me. Uh, just seeing the alligator in the sewer or whatever. And oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Being like, oh, no. I, but it was one of those things where I wanted to watch it anyways. I didn't care. You know, yeah. I was like, it's scary, but it looks great. I never did get to see it. So ended up catching that last year. And it's, um, I mean, it's just like got all the gator action you could ever want. <laughs> There's a, one of the coolest parts about it is that it does a almost a POV shot from the gator. Like it puts the camera on the back of the gator's head. And those are just... I mean, it's pretty inventive for the time, and sure. it's it actually works really well. Uh, it, it looks really good. The the uh, special effects are all practical effects, just the best. looks looks fantastic. holds up really well. The Gator especially holds up really well. It's got some really great kills in it. Uh, basically, everything you want from a creature feature called Alligator, and nice. it's on. Uh, I actually put where everything was streaming. If you could, if you, if it was oh. streaming, so nice. so that one's uh, you can get on AMC Plus or Shutter. Either one, it's it's got those. Definitely recommend that one. That is Alligator? Alligator. There is a sequel that I've not seen. So oh. I think they actually have a, uh, a Blu-ray two-pack that you can buy from Scream Factory, I think, put it out, hmm. which they do really good work. Oh, yeah. Isn't that what, the, what your Friday 13th is for? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, they do they do really good work. Um, that might actually... And they do sales pretty often, too. So yeah. Exactly. That might be one I, I, I purchased because, I mean, I, I enjoyed the Alligator a lot. So Nice. All right. We're going to start off my list. With a movie called The Wailing, W-A-I-L-I-N-G, from uh, 2016. This was a Korean film, and also in the horror genre, I guess you would say. More of a creepy ghost spiritual type movie than uh, any kind of a slasher or anything like that. And definitely gets really biblical. Like, there's a lot of themes... This was a late watch for me. I just watched it a few weeks ago, but it's been sitting with me ever since. It honestly would probably climb a little higher on this list, given another few weeks, I bet, because it's really been sticking with me. But it's really neat how they balance out how there's, like, a village that seems to be under a curse, and people keep turning into zombie-like creatures and killing everyone around them. And then becomes at the deeper level, like it's a, not quite voodoo, but there's a something causing them to turn into these things. And so it gets into like a spiritual thing. And then it becomes kind of like a Catholicism because you get a priest that comes in to help with things. But then he doesn't really help. He just kind of makes it worse, it seems. <laughs> and then they pull in like a shaman from a local other religion and just like conflicting views yeah. from different uh, aspects and it's just a really neat mishmash of a horror film. Awesome. So you never really know which way the next scene's going to turn. It does a really good job. Like, it's a little over two hours long, mm-hmm. but it goes by so quickly. Like I said, it, it's a different movie every time you blink, basically. And has some really deep, really cool speeches. Keeps you guessing until the very end also. Even at the end, you're not quite 100% sure what's going on. But they leave you enough clues that you can piece some major parts of it together and it was just a really cool, really cool watch. That's awesome. I, that's been on my, my watch list forever. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I almost, I actually, it's funny. I almost watched that like two weeks ago. I, I don't don't remember what I ended up watching instead. But like, it's one that I keep, I'm like, I got to watch this movie. And then something comes up. I'm like, yeah, I'll wait till later. Yeah. But yeah, now definitely check it out soon. Nice. Yeah, I would recommend it for sure. Oh, that was The Wailing from 2016. I got notes from last time that we didn't say the movie afterwards enough. So oh, okay. Then 
you say it and then you talk about it and people are like, oh, wait, what was it what again? Was the movie? Yeah, yeah, that's so, good. That's yeah. good. I'll, I'll do that. I think I did. Yeah, I did that with Alligator. All right. So let's see. Next on my list would be Cutter's Way, which was uh, 1981. It's a uh, kind of neo-noir type movie, a murder mystery, but it's also like a, a buddy movie. It's kind of like a whole bunch of things together. It's also more of like a serious drama. It feels very much, so it's definitely cut from like the 70s cloth. So it has that gritty kind of nihilistic feel to it. All, almost all 70s movies had. So it's 1981. So, you know, it still feels like a 70s movie, sure. which in my opinion is great. I love 70s movies are fantastic. But this one has... Just amazing, brilliant performances from John John Hurd, Jeff Bridges, and also uh, Lisa Eichhorn, which I don't actually, I can't really place her in other movies. I, I'm, I know she's been in a ton of them. She's really, really good in this, though. They're All three are fantastic, and they're kind of like the, I would say that the, the two two men are the leads, Jeff Bridges and John Hurd, but like Lisa Eichhorn is, is really, really big, plays a real prominent role in it, too. Um, she's fantastic. So... But yeah, it's basically, you know, murder mystery type. Nah, I'm sorry, it's not really murder mystery. It's more there's a, a murder happens, someone witnesses it, and then they they try to kind of figure it out. Oh, okay. But it's not it's not like a whodunit thing. They're actually trying to solve this, you know, trying to solve the murder. So it's more of like a detective worked from a detective end as opposed to like the whodunit, like you would kind of expect or whatever. But yeah, that's, uh, it's really good. It's also pretty sad. <laughs> So, I mean, I feel like that's just how all movies from the 70s were pretty yeah. much. You know, they they had that kind yeah. of... Um, Very nihilistic. Yeah. Exactly. had that kind of heartbreaking aspect of it. Like, it just kind of wore that. And that's that's kind of what this is. And um, I'm pretty sure John Hurt's character was wounded in Vietnam, I believe. So he has like one... He has one arm. Oh, and uh, badly wounded, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he lost a, he lost a limb. And, and I think he is... He might have lost a leg. Is it a leg and an arm too? I can't remember now. Anyways, I just know he's 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 a wounded veteran from from Vietnam, and obviously that plays a huge, like part in his whole persona, like his his whole outlook on life and everything. So it's not it's definitely not one of those uppers that's that's fun or anything, but it's just so well done. Again, that's Cutter's Way, from 1981. Nice. Next up for me, with the release of season two of Chucky. I decided to do a Chucky rewatch and came upon the fact that I had never seen Child's Play 2 before. Oh, yeah. And it's now my favorite Child's Play movie. <laughs> this is number nine on my list is Child's Play 2 from 1990. And this is just fucking amazing, dude. Yeah. Like, it's everything from the first one, but like taken to another level. And uh, they bring most of the cast back except for the mom. And they've got her like in an insane asylum. And so it's like perfect continuity there. And he goes to a new foster family. Uh, Chucky ends up finding his way there also as he gets reanimated from the factory, the good guy factory. <laughs> and that factory itself plays a huge part in the ending. And it is just such a great finale as they get stalked through the, through the factory with all the other good guy dolls. And just how they end up taking him down again. It was just a really fun watch. I really short get her through it it's like an hour and 20 i think so wow. it's probably like an hour 15 i if you take out the credits yeah but man it, it just flies right through zips along and it's just a lot of fun really some neat kills and really good child acting again from the kid that played andy so 
if you're a horror fan at all and been skipping Chucky, or if you're like me and somehow missed that one, uh, Child's Play Two from 1990. That's great. I I don't think I've ever seen that one. I've oh, only yeah. I've only seen a couple of the Child's Plays. Uh, obviously, the first one and the one where he goes to like the military academy. Yeah, that's the third one. Okay, so I've seen that one, and then the later ones like uh, Seed of Chucky. Mm-hmm. I think, and then I think those are the ones the ones I've seen. Bright, I've seen Bright of Chucky, and then see, so those two. So, okay. uh, so four of them. And then I actually did watch the re- did you watch the remake from what was that two years ago? Mm-hmm. Aubrey Plaza. No, with Mark Hamill as the voice. Yeah, yeah, it's not bad. Okay, uh, it's probably it's worth a watch. It's got some neat neat kills in it. Um, definitely not great or anything, but yeah, definitely it was better than I expected it to be. Okay, yeah, yeah. that one isn't considered continuity for the show, so I just oh, skipped okay. it and just went straight into the show. There you was, go. Yeah, trying to catch up. So. But yeah, might pick that one up. It's yeah, it's def- definitely worth a watch. All right, so my number seven would be the right stuff from 1983. Okay, I've heard of this. Um, yeah, it's it was hugely popular when it came out. Massive cast. I mean, just has like everyone in it from that from that time period. Um, this is an astronaut movie. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was. Yeah. It's the. It's a true story. It's and it's based on Tom Wolfe's book, uh, The Right Stuff. So it's basically about the birth of the um, U.S. space program, like the formation of it and everything. So you get like uh, Navy pilots, Air Force, all these guys that they're trying to basically create astronauts out of. You know that they, they don't. They've never you know been through anything like that. So they have to go through. It's like the the initial training process and figuring out. All that kind of stuff, like what they're how they're going to do that. The cast has like Sam Shepard, Scott Glenn, Barbara Hershey, Dennis Quaid, and it has really young Jeff Goldblum and a Harry Shear from uh, The Simpsons or yeah, from yeah. like uh, Spinal Tap. He's in it too. Scott Wilson's in it from Walking Dead. Oh, I can't remember who he plays. He's one of the hot, kind of hotshot pilots. I can't remember who he plays. I mean, it's it's fantastic, and it really it's it's one of those movies that I just. You see kind of classic movies like that, and you're just like, figure out, and yeah, it's it's probably just you know, kind of a raw rock crowd pleaser, and mm-hmm. seen it a million times. But this one actually does, the dramatic bits are really, but it's not, it, it doesn't do like anything new, but it does it so well. All the uh, the flight shots, anytime they're they're actually flying anything, it looks fantastic. I mean, you can tell they actually really flew. I, mean, I don't know if the actors did, but you can tell they actually shot you know actual jets and stuff in the flying. cockpit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are, um, let me see, so that just that portion of it's fantastic too, but the dramatic elements work really well basically because the, the acting is all, all really good. It's a little bit, it's like over three hours long, I feel, and it does kind of hit that point where you're like, okay, you could probably, you know, cut about 20 minutes off the movie and it'd still be really good. Mm-hmm. Probably be better, honestly. It's, it's a little, it's a little bit too long, but overall it's still definitely, definitely worth watching. It was nominated for Best Picture. Okay. Um, I think it was nominated like five awards or so. I know it won a couple. So, but yeah, definitely worth watching. Uh, the right stuff. Next up on my list is Edge of Tomorrow: colon, Live Die Repeat. Yes. From 2014. This is another classic uh, time loop movie. I was actually looking back over my list. I've had one of these every time we've done yeah, one. Yeah, Palms Race. So yeah. I guess yeah, yeah, and, and then um, Happy Death Day. I yeah. Think. Uh, source code also was on yeah. there. So, I mean, I guess I got a theme going. I'm just <laughs> catching up on some of these, but we can blame S-Bob for this. He's been the one that showed me all of these. But it's been uh, a fun journey, and this one kind of takes some good liberties with it. Yeah. Uh, 
So Tom Cruise and then Emily Blunt, man, she she's just so knocks great. it out of the park. She's great. It's just an amazing performance. Mm-hmm. Just right out of the gate, like as soon as you see her, you're like, holy shit, this mm-hmm. girl is like insane. Oh yeah. And, and it's got some neat concepts, whereas it doesn't actually repeat a day or a certain time frame. It actually just repeats the life. It, he goes until he dies, and once he dies, then he comes back to where he was whenever he started that morning. So you get a couple of uh, situations where you know the movie can go 15, 20 minutes in a couple of instances where uh, he goes through two or three days, and he, al- he almost think he's going to do it and going to win, and then just gets killed in another hilarious way. Uh, it was hilarious to me. Cause I mean, oh, yeah. It is, it's just really fun to see action hero, und- undefeatable Tom Cruise just die over yep. and over again, especially early on when they do like a montage of him just biting it. And it's so like, good. oh, my God, this is this is what we've been wanting for years. <laughs> we've been denied for so long, and now it's all coming to roost. Yeah. And I wasn't super impressed with the alien effects. Like, that could have been better, in my opinion probably would be nowadays i bet cgi was probably a little limited back then but they're still good enough for what they are and it's it's entertaining it's a lot of a lot of good times so i'd, I'd recommend watching it yeah it was, I, uh, I love that movie edge of tomorrow also called live die repeat mm-hmm. from 2014 that one's a blast the creature designs are okay yeah. they're nothing you haven't seen before which is unfortunate I, I feel like they probably could have done something completely different or at least try to get away from the sentinel-looking thing from yeah. the Matrix, maybe. Mm-hmm. It was very video gamey. Yeah, for sure. And but like you said, that's probably the only kind of downside, and it's not a big deal. But it's like one place it could have been improved upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. The the just the fact that it's Tom Cruise and you know the unkillable guy that it's always like I don't know, he always saves the day. It's so good to watch him fail in a movie like that and like repeatedly fail like that. It's yeah. there is something like cathartic about that. I think. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Emily Blunt just knocks out of the park. She's fantastic. And apparently, uh, we've watched that one for my podcast with S. Bob. A little cheap plug here, ten minutes. Oh, cinema. nice! I'll have to um, and listen to that one. Part of the trivia from that was that she was like six months pregnant yeah. during some of the reshoots. I remember that. that. And that's just insane to think that she was doing some of those stunts on her own <laughs> yeah. while six months pregnant. That is crazy. Yeah, like you said, as soon as she uh, she uh, shows up there, you completely buy into what she. I mean, you like a hundred percent. You're like, yep. Mm-hmm. I understand. <laughs> Alrighty, so I am at number six, Capote with Philip Seymour Hoffman from mm. 2005. So this is one that I, I honestly have always thought I watched. <laughs> oh, okay. And I know I watched maybe the first five, uh, maybe the first like 10 or 20 minutes of it, and I either fell asleep or for whatever reason I never finished it. Um, so I was going to rewatch it is what my plan was. I was like, man, I don't remember like anything of that movie. And so I started, I'm like, oh, because I never saw the whole thing. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was absolutely blown away by this. Philip Seymour Hoffman is just, un, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Every single thing, like just the tics, the mannerisms, the facial expressions, the uh, his body language, it's un, it's just uncanny and it's yeah. unreal. Like it's how literally transformative. It is. I mean, I was just in awe of him the whole time. Like, you literally can't, like, take your eyes off him. He's just captivating. So awesome. One of those, obviously, he won Academy Award for it. But, I mean, it is it is like a, a lifetime performance. Just fantastic. And then also, like, you know, after it, you're like, man, I really wish he was still around. Because that performance is just unbelievable. It's about Truman Capote. It's about him writing Inkle Blood, the book that really kind of, I mean, he was already really famous, but that one really kind of 
put him over the moon, I guess, in, in terms of, of fame. But it's about his basically the process of him kind of getting to to write that, his process of actually talking with the killers, um, getting close to them, which is yeah, those interview scenes. Oh man, they're they're so good, but they're yeah, they're intense for sure. So you know, you get to see that whole process and really how it how it affects uh, how it affects Capote um, and how it change kind of changes his viewpoint on a lot of things. It's, it's uh, just, a, it's a great film all around, all around. Definitely one of those performance driven films that, um, I mean, he just absolutely kills it. It's amazing. So that's uh Capote from 2005. Okay. And that's on Amazon prime. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, that was very good. I also would recommend watching that. That was really good. Yeah. Well, my next movie is from 2009. And it's called Julie and Julia. Oh, yeah. This is one, not really something, if anybody that knows me really, would picture me watching. Yeah, just out of the blue. I was slightly coerced into it. And, man, I really had a good time with it. It was some amazing acting. And it's uh, Meryl Streep and Amy Adams. And Meryl Streep plays Julia Child. And Amy Adams plays a woman named Julia, who, um, or Julie, who goes and tries to make all the recipes from one of Julia Child's cookbooks, one a day for an entire year and writes it on a blog and and it's based on a true story. And it was just really kind of heartwarming and Meryl Streep did a very good job and uh, Stanley Tucci as her husband is just adorable. And I don't know, it's just a, a really fun, charming movie that kind of won my heart over a little bit. I, I had a good time watching it and had some, it's obviously one, you know, like a roller coaster kind of thing. She had some failures along the way and then ultimately triumphs of course and you just you're there for the ride and you it was really enjoyable i liked it a lot that was julie and julia from 2009 yeah that's an unexpected one for me i <laughs> definitely didn't see that one coming yeah have you seen it though i actually have never seen it okay yeah so maybe, so, maybe check it yeah out. for sure i love meryl streep so and amy adams fantastic and like i said stanley tucci's and it can't go wrong with that All right great yeah. cast yeah all right so i'm up to number five i think that I had actually let me see because yeah I'm getting ready to do six so that's what I'm at I'm at six then okay yeah I don't know how to count (laughs) drummers on the count to four that's exactly only four no more no less (laughs) Uh, so here I have Everest which is not the movie uh, this not fictitious movie Everest but at the uh, documentary so this is it's really on here because my buddies and I read Into Thin Air, and then we watched this movie, which they were actually shooting this documentary during the time of Into Thin Air, like when I, when they were actually making their climb. So it kind of goes hand in hand. And if you watch this outside of like maybe knowing about the book aspect of it, it would probably just be kind of like another mountain climbing documentary. It's, not that it's not special, but it's not like... I don't know. You, you've probably seen a lot of things like this, but I, I think having just read the book and then going into this uh, documentary, it really you're able to to see everything that they're kind of going through in the book. So it's essentially just they're tracking. They're 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 wanting to film, which they've never really. I think up until this time, no one had ever actually filmed on top of Everest, and so that was the goal was to get a camera up there, I'm, IMAX camera. So, so this is before the bucket list. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this was in 98, I think. Okay. So anyway, anyways, when they're shooting this, this is the same time when John Krakauer and a whole team of, of people are, are 
attempting to climb Everest and he's writing, he's a journalist, he's writing for, I can't remember which, which uh, company at the time. And he's, you know, climbing Everest and it's usually when, when they do this climb, you don't really have many issues, but on this particular one, they had a, a ton of problems and several people ended up dying during the, the ascent up to actually the ascent and descent down to the top of Everest. And this camera crew captured some of the, you know, some of the chaos that was surrounding that. So I, I have read several reviews of the, the movie saying that, you know, they're trying to profit off these people dying. I mean, I I don't know that that's true because they were shooting this regardless of what was going on. Like, they didn't know that people were going to die or whatever. You know, they, they had the setup to shoot anyways. But, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those movies, if you know the kind of the background that is, you know, definitely a little sketchy. I mean, there's definitely some questions there. Like, should, should you go ahead and show that kind of stuff or not? I don't know, but it, it definitely put that into perspective visually for me after reading that book. I mean, it really put it puts you there on Everest, and um, it's to, to me kind of compare or uh, mixing that with the book or as a companion piece with the book. It really worked out. I mean, for me, it really worked very well. And yeah, it's Everest, and it's from 1998. But unfortunately, you really can't find that anywhere. My buddy bought the DVD. I think you can probably buy the DVD on like Amazon or something, but that's the only way to actually to watch that. It's not streaming anywhere or anything like that. So, okay, or just track down your friends. Exactly. Yeah. Next up for me is a movie from 2021 that I did not get to in time to be on the 2021 list last year, but watched it last year for the first time. It's called Drive My Car, and this one hit pretty hard emotionally. It was. Very moving, really just kind of absorbed you in right away. It's a foreign film, uh, Japan, and was nominated for both Best Picture and Best International Feature last year at the Oscars. So I knew right away I definitely had to check it out, and very glad that I did. This is about a, a man that has some tragedy in his life and decides that he's going to try to make a version of Uncle Vanya, which is a play from Russia, and he just decides to do a casting process where he hires people from all different kinds of walks of life and different languages. So the language barrier is completely just mixed up. And it's really neat showing the, the struggles of what he goes through to try to get them all in rehearsal to be on the same page. It's just really neat how they pull everything together and it, it just makes sense. Like... <laughs> It being in a foreign language itself is enough to disorient you and put you in that world being American. And it was just a really cool, really uplifting movie about um, people coming together and people just overcoming tragedy and and not even like deep tragedy, just like childhood trauma. Uh, it's got a, a bunch of different catharsis yeah. throughout the film from many different characters and really beautifully shot and a lot of long tracking shots as they drive uh drive my car is the name yeah. of the movie and it's because uh he actually insists on driving his own car and they hire a driver the the studio that wants to put on the the play producing the play that he got hired to direct and he actually lets her drive him around and just the bond that they form from that is just really unique and it's just a, a really moving film i really enjoyed it that was a drive my car from 2021. Yeah, I, I love that movie, man. That was one of my favorite movies last year. I actually did see it this year too. I think in like the, it was at the January first or 
I don't know, it was earlier, earlier on. Mm-hmm. The only reason I didn't put it on my list is because I talked about it a lot on the Oscar one. But yeah, I mean, it'd definitely be probably at the top of my list, honestly. I mean, it's, it was like one of my favorite movies last year. Beautiful. Just a beautiful film. Oh, yeah. Loved it. Okay, so now I'm on five, right? Uh, yeah. I did it. Yep. Counted over four. <laughs> For my number five, I have Time Crimes. Have you ever seen this or heard of this? So this is from so. 2007, a Spanish film. It's a mystery. I guess it's a mystery movie about uh, sort of. I mean, it is about time travel, but it is so small in scale. Like it's not about time travel throughout the world or you know to like save a disaster or anything like that. It's so small scale and personal. But at the same time, it is a a mystery that you're trying to unfold the whole time you're watching them. Like. All these things go on, and as as it unfolds, you kind of get to piece little things together. So it does have time loop kind of things going on, too, at the same time. But you are also progressing in the story at the same time. It's kind of hard to, I guess, describe in that way. But it's it's one of those where, like, the whole time I'm like, yeah, I know exactly how this is going to go. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then, you know, that happens in the first third of the movie and then the other two thirds are like no i couldn't predict anything <laughs> it was like unlike anything i've, I've ever seen with that but yeah it, it kept me guessing to the end i don't really want to give away kind of plot points or whatever because it's so much more fun with this movie if you don't really know what's going on because it makes it makes you really want to watch every single scene because you there are scenes that get repeated but they're from a different angle Okay. So you're seeing viewpoints from like either a different character or you're seeing it just from a different side of the room or something like that, but you pick up different things because of that. And that's kind of what this whole movie is about. It's fascinating. I definitely can't recommend it enough. It's fantastic. Um, I think it's on... I watched it on Amazon Prime, but I don't think it's on there anymore. Uh looks like it's on Mubi and then Plex, too. Yeah, so that's Time Crimes from 2007. Nice. We're going to keep the... Uh... The foreign film train going here. This is three in a row now, back and forth. So, my next film is Let the Right One In from 2008. It's a Swedish film, and it's a essentially a, a vampire movie, but it's also a budding young friendship slash romance. And these child actors just really brought it to this film. Yeah, and it's got some really neat really effective kills that are very brutal, very bloody, yeah, also just beautiful, like uh, set in the middle of the winter over in Sweden, and so just the, the contrast of blood on snow is just, mm-hmm. just pops in a lot of the shots. They do some really neat effects with ice that are just amazing. And just the way that this friendship comes about between these two seemingly young kids mm-hmm. uh, is just really, really incredible. You could just really feel the, the chemistry between the two of them. A really good film. They remade it with an American version. Not checked that out yet. And they've also apparently made it into a TV show on yeah, Showtime, Showtime that just started recently. And I might just give it a little while before I check anything else out because I don't want to taint my version of this film right it's, now. So. It's fantastic. Man. Yeah, it, it's, it was it's, so good. Yeah, it's my favorite vampire movie of all time. Like I, I absolutely love that movie. Yeah. Um, love that last what like ten fifteen minutes. Oh my god, that's like just brilliant how it's mm. shot and everything so good the remake is really good is it yeah okay. surprisingly i because that's i mean so i watched let the right one in mm-hmm. i think the remake came out in what 2010 or something like that uh, 2011 i think 2011. so you have and matt reeves directed it who's fantastic oh, okay. um 
so I had like really, I mean, I loved the the Swedish version, and I had like, I don't know, I really low expectations for the American. Usually, mm-hmm. when that happens, especially with the horror genre, it's, it usually doesn't go as well. But I was really surprised by how good it is. They unfortunately change kind of a, I don't know if it's a major plot point, but it's a plot point with her, for it to be more American friendly, and that mm-hmm. doesn't. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, with that. and that yeah. doesn't really. Unfortunately, it doesn't work for me because I mean, if you know know that from the original story, it it doesn't work as well. But uh, outside of that, it's it's really good, uh, shot super well. They actually do a lot of kind of shots like the the original it has like several almost exact shots like that. Um, and the cast is really good in the American remake. Richard Jenkins is the father figure. Okay. Chloe Grace Moretz is the vampire, and then Cody Smith. What is his name? Oh, Cody McPhee. Yeah. yeah, he's the, the the young boy. I mean, I, I definitely recommend it. I haven't watched the show, but yeah, I mean, I would, like I said, give it maybe a little while and then watch the American remake. But the yeah, that Swedish version is awesome, man. Oh, yeah. Now we're in that top four. Top four. Here we go. So I have Devil in a Blue Dress from 1995. Okay. Denzel? Denzel, yeah. This is one that I've always seen streaming here or there and mm-hmm. been like, yeah, I'll watch it eventually. I just never either felt like I was in the mood for it or whatever. But I finally sat down and watched it. Man, it's it's so good. It's a kind of neo-noir type movie again where um, Denzel is just, I mean, he, he's always great. But he's so he's so good in this movie. The cast is great too. Uh, Tom Sizemore is like a heavy in it. Man, I'm kind of blanking on everyone else. But every, I mean, everyone in the cast is fantastic. With Denzel, what I really loved about his performance in this is so it, it takes place in the 40, late 40s in L.A. And he is he's so good at kind of almost morphing into the person that whoever he's with, like whatever group of people he's with, like when he's around the police, when he's around other detectives, just random people. He, the way that he is able to kind of morph into like a, almost a different character with each of those groups of people is really fantastic and fascinating at the same time. Just sh- shows his range is, is just amazing. And he's also able to be like pretty, I mean, he's a pretty, pretty tough dude in it too, but he knows when to like lay back on that and when, you know, he should be kind of tough or whatever. But the way that, I, know, I mean, you've seen other people do that before, other actors portray that before, but the way he does it is it's, it's seamless and it feels so authentic. Really blew me away. Um, but yeah, Tom Sizemore, I think, is the bad guy. And then Jennifer Beals is in it. She's fantastic. Yeah, I would say it's one of the better uh, noir detective stories. Really, I've seen probably the last 30 years or so. Mm. The way it's scripted, uh, the pacing's perfect. The direction's really good, too. Carl Franklin does a fantastic job. I think it might be his first film. It's one of his earlier films, anyways. But yeah, Devil in a Blue Dress, check that one out. That okay. was uh, from 1995. Okay, cool. Our next one, it's appropriate that we're podcasting together because I definitely have you to thank for it. All right. <laughs> uh, this is uh, from 1981 called Possession. Yes. It was your number one movie from last year, and we actually got a chance to catch it on the big screen Yeah. Uh, early last year around Valentine's Day, I believe, which was ironic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just given the themes of the film. Exactly. Much like, uh, from what I remember of your review, I don't want to say much at all, mm-hmm. aside from, you know, everybody just needs to go into it just not knowing much at all. And you're going to just have a great time. Sam Neill is just beyond incredible. I had no idea he had this kind of insanity inside of him. Yeah. I thought I saw his range in Event Horizon, and he yeah. he blows that out of the water in the first couple scenes. 
he has to because the, the woman in this film is just acting at another level. Yeah, she, it, Isabel Ajani. Yeah, thank you. I, Fantastic. I, I didn't want to mess up the name, but yeah, it's, it is such an incredible performance on her part throughout the entire film. And just the way that she changes to adapt to the needs of the script as mm-hmm. it's going along. And then, yeah, like... Like I said, yeah, Sam Neill just has to struggle to keep up with her, but he he does a pretty admirable job, but she is just on another level in this film, and it is a horror movie, so if you're if you're not a horror fan, maybe skip it, or maybe only watch the first half or so, because it, <laughs> it devolves, and oh, yeah. boy, does it ever devolve quickly, <laughs> but it just it had me completely along for the ride, and it was one of my favorite experiences from last year, it was a very neat, very cool thing to check out. One that I'm excited to, to rewatch eventually once they use that. And there's a, a, a Blu-ray of that coming soon, right? Yeah, actually, yeah. they just put it on Shutter. Oh, really? Yeah, it's streaming on Shutter. I think this week. Oh my God! Yeah, I just that? I just saw an announcement for okay. it. Okay. Well, yeah, there you go. So you don't have an excuse anymore. You can go watch it now. Yeah, or rewatch it. Exactly. All right. yeah, I've seen it. I've seen yeah. it twice now. Possession from 1981. So so good. Yeah. Yeah, she's like unhinged in that in the best way possible. Alrighty, so I have Extreme Prejudice from 1987. This was on Pure Cinema Podcast probably a couple years ago now, um, but it was one I couldn't find anywhere. They released a Blu-ray last year, and I bought it when it came out, and absolutely loved it. It's uh, like a, basically a glorious 1980s action movie that has a ton of shootouts. The action is like turned up to 11. Walter Hill, the director, cast is insane. So you have like every character actor from the 80s, basically. But uh, Nick Nolte and Powers Booth are the two main people in it. Powers Booth is basically the the villain in it. Nick Nolte's Border Patrol, I think, or a U.S. Marshal, one of the two. But then you have Michael Ironside, who's always great and everything. Rip Torn, Clancy Brown, William Forsyth, Tiny Lister. Uh, so he was in like Friday. He's like oh. a he's a massive dude. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. in the Dark Knight. Yeah. yeah, he's in it too. But yeah, so it's like all these character actors from the '80s show up. But essentially, like Nick Nolte's kind of tasked with bringing down Powers Booth, and they were friends growing up. They went separate ways. He Nick Nolte's a lawman. Powers Booth is like a, a drug dealing cartel guy, and so I think he even like stole his wife or something like that. And so basically, yeah, he's a Texas Ranger. So basically, they keep kind of having these little uh, spats back and forth. And then it all eventually leads to them going down and having this massive, massive shootout at the end. But yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of all you need to know about it. It's a, it's an '80s action movie, but it doesn't. It's, it's not too cheesy. Uh, I feel like some '80s action movies really lean on to kind of be that real cheesy kind of stuff. But this one actually, the, the action scenes are fantastic. Still to this day, look really good. If you like action movies at all, that's kind of a must. Unfortunately, I think you can rent it. No, that okay. So it's only available to buy. At this time, I would think it's probably going to be streaming eventually because they do have that uh, new Blu-ray release. And usually when they do that, they try to, you know, stream from that. So right. hopefully that happens. If not, I have it and you can anyone can borrow it if they, if they ask. Okay. <laughs> Spreading the love. I like there it. There you go. That's Extreme Prejudice from 1987. Kind of funny. I had to chuckle here as I looked down at my next pick. It didn't even dawn on me until now that this is also a watch from you. <laughs> yes. So I have you to thank again for number th- four and now number three, which is A Few Good Men from 1992. Yeah. It was uh, part of a list that I'd sent you, like, uh, these are some movies I haven't seen before. And you're like, oh, I've gotten some of these on DVD. 
come over and had to have a night of it and just watch a movie. And we ended up pulling that one out of a hat, just a random thing, and out of the ones you had brought over. And it was, oh man, this is some fine, fine acting in yeah, this movie. Yeah, Yep. So Tom Cruise is a is he a marine? Or yeah, navy marine. I think he's I think he's a marine. Okay, and he's a, a lawyer tasked to defend two other marines who were stationed down at Guantanamo Bay in Cuba, and are charged with killing another one of their fellow boot camp trainees. They proclaim their innocence, but they're also very uh, withholding about it, and things kind of unravel and cruise, and with the help of Demi Moore, they dig into the mystery and figure out some things, and it all just culminates in a classic courtroom scene that, even if you haven't seen the movie, you know about. I, mean, I knew about this, you know, mostly mm-hmm. from sound clips and stuff, even yeah. before seeing the movie, but seeing it in context and just with everything else from the film building up to it, it just erupts, and it's amazing, and Jack Nicholson is just fucking brilliant. Yeah, he is. So, so, so good. Yeah. And, yeah, just deserves every accolade he's ever gotten from this, for sure. Absolutely. That was A Few Good Men from 1992. Yeah, I love I love that, especially, I think, actually, Top Gun Maverick this year does it, too, but it gives Tom Cruise, like, a, a space to act. And I mean, a few good men is all drama, so he's obviously mm-hmm. not. It's not an action movie, so he's you know. But like that was early Tom Cruise, and like later Tom Cruise has been just an action star. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's just running and jumping and punching, and it's entertaining and great. Sure. But like you don't get to see that range anymore. And going back and watching a few good men, especially like you're like, wow, he's really really good. Yeah. And he's oh yeah, when he's like frustrated with the case and just exactly. like the, the, the ticks and the yeah. things that his character is going through. Is he's fantastic. Shooting the basketball yeah. and crumpling papers and flipping things over and getting frustrated and like you feel the emotion very much so. yeah i just you forget that he actually is a really good actor and i mean like i said top gun maverick because there, there are scenes in that where he's actually allowed to kind of show those dramatic range a little bit too which is always nice to see get that reminder he he actually is a really good actor but yeah like you said jack nicholson just i mean he eats every every scene he's in he's just yeah. like eating it up man oh, yeah. so good demi moore actually is really good in that too yeah i was impressed Great all the way all the way around. All right, so number two for me that mm. is Prince of the City. Uh, so mm. that's a 1981 movie directed by Sidney Lumet or Lumet or Lumet. I'm not really sure. I'm gonna say Lumet though. Okay. Americanize it, even if that's not right. <laughs> this is a very very hard movie to find. I think a lot of his movies are. First off, Sidney Lumet is a super underrated director. Super underrated. He's got a pretty large filmography. At least 10 of his films are some of the best ever made, American films ever made. I mean, he started his career with 12 Angry Men. That was his first film, and that's obviously a classic. But, I mean, from there, he's his movies aren't necessarily to entertain. They're almost more to, um, not necessarily educate, but they're maybe a warning or like a, just to give you like a little piece of humanity kind of. Not that they are not can't be entertaining, which they definitely can be. It just kind of depends on your you know, your viewpoint or whatever. But with Prince of the City, it's, it's, it's an epic. So it's, you know, two and a half to three hours, I think, but it's uh, basically a tale of police corruption. And it's like every, if you've, if you've seen any uh, Sydney Lumet movie, everything is like, every scene is, is precise. Everything kind of has its place. It's it, but it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like methodical. It just, it, you don't really kind of notice it. I think during the, during the film, you just, realize that it kind of afterwards like oh yeah that was like very specific for a reason 
one thing I can I can say about it for sure is that it it does that. It's it's super precise. One thing you get with directors in general is that they revisit themes over and over and over again. I think that's just a human thing anyways. And and most of the time they will either admit to it or they're very happy to say, you know, that's what they're trying to trying to convey. They're trying to figure out that for themselves. So that's how they, you know, they do that through their art or whatever. And Sidney Lumet is always crafting stories about imperfect people who either try to do something good or maybe have good intentions but they get in too deep and then they kind of don't know they either don't know what to do or they go deeper or they become become bad or they maybe do something that is questionable you know Mm -hmm. so it's very much about like that human human kind of nature part of us like how far can be pushed before you you turn into something you don't want to be like what 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 triggers that to you um he's kind of always asking questions like that through his films and that's this is just like a classic example of that Treat Williams is the lead actor, and he is ridiculously good in this. And I don't know how he was not like a like a household name after this movie. I mean, he is that good. He's unbelievable in this. And so this was what 1981. I know he shows up several times, kind of throughout the 80s, but he he never gets that kind of leading man status that like we were talking about Tom Cruise, like Tom Cruise or Harrison Ford or something like that. He never gets. The, gets there and i think he has every bit of the ability of those guys for whatever reason i don't know i don't know what maybe he didn't take the right roles or whatever Um, but yeah he's unfortunately he doesn't have that kind of carryover after this after this movie which i thought he would but you because he is just he's so fantastic in this um but yeah if you like it's it's kind of like a um police procedural a little bit but then it has a lot to do with like ambitions for higher office and stuff like that but then also you you're dealing with all the corruption that comes with that too so like from the police from the politicians and stuff i mean if that sounds interesting to you then you should watch this and even if it doesn't you should give it a try because it's 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 really great and i don't think that one is available either (laughs) so again i have that one if you want (laughs) to if you want to borrow it (laughs) feel free and that's uh prince of the city Okay, we're getting down to it. My number two is also another 2021 film that I didn't catch soon enough to get on last year's list, but definitely would have been, obviously being this guy, it's Nightmare Alley. Man, this really, really spoke to me. Again, to reiterate, we didn't call that out the first time before we started, but uh, these are our favorite films of the year, not necessarily in our or high quality, like, you know, artistic films of the year. Some of them may be, but mm-hmm. we're not trying to say that these are perfect in any way. They're right. just ones that really hit us personally, and, and they're just favorites of ours. And, man, this really spoke to me. It, it's the first half of the movie is um, Bradley Cooper getting picked up as a carny, basically, working in a carnival. And then the second half of the movie transitions to him being a shyster, basically, and manipulating people and swindling them out of their money because he pretends to be psychic and communicating with the dead and just keeps slipping further and further down no matter how hard he tries to climb back out and try to make things right it's a little predictable the ending you can you can see it coming but man the journey there and just the way that he nails that final scene is just so so good i loved it on initial watch and then i picked up the special edition blu-ray that comes with the black and white version and that even added an extra layer to it man like you really, especially the first part, you get that old school, you know, yeah. like 1930s carnival vibe for it. And it just, it, it adds another layer for sure. And 
Del Toro does a great job just blending and contrasting the black and white, and it's really a, a movie about black and white, like you know the the, the two sides of the yeah. of the coin. And Kate Blanchett does an amazing amazing turn in this also. There's like a little femme fatale the psychotherapist that mm-hmm. kind of helps him, and it's just a really cool movie. I really enjoyed it. It stuck with me for a long time. I've seen it three times now, so it was it was really good. Nice. I really need to rewatch that one. I I watched it initially when it came out. What was that last year, last year? Like December yeah, or twenty twenty one December or something. November like that. December, yeah. And I liked it, but I had like some issues with it or whatever. But I feel like I've it's been enough time where if I revisit it, especially with that black and white version, I think yeah. I would enjoy it even more. I still really liked it. I just felt it was a bit long. It kind of takes a little bit too much time. I think. Yeah. Once they move from the carny to like you know his other life, it kind of just. There's a spot there where it just kind of drags a bit, but it's still Bradley Cooper. I think that might be his best performance. I mean, he is really, really good in that. Yeah. Like you said, especially that last scene, which yeah. is just. He commands the scene, so wow. Yeah. Nice one, though. Number one. Uh, here we go. Here we go. So my number one is uh, Sullivan's Travels from 1941. Oh, going way back. Mm-hmm. Preston Sturge's film. So this is one that I've seen on like tons of kind of like best films ever made mm-hmm. stuff like that and have whatever reason just didn't watch it i always thought it was something completely different than what it is but this one is especially interesting when you when you watch it and compare it to because it was made in the 40s so it's definitely of that time um you kind of compare it to what we have now that makes it even i think a little even more interesting for me anyways so it's about this super popular director it's basically like a movie about making films. So Oh, no kidding. Yeah, okay. and I didn't think that's what it was. Yeah, I would not have either. Exactly. I mean, that's kind of what they make it. But it's about a super popular director, and he is most notably, I think actually the only pictures he makes are comedies. They're real lighthearted. Everyone loves him. You know, he, the, the studio loves him because he makes money for him, and, you know, his super popular, real lighthearted comedies, stuff like that. And so he, after his last movie, does real well. Now he wants to be this serious auteur. He wants to be taken seriously as a, you know, a, a serious dramatic uh, director. I mean, he wants his next movie to be Oh Brother Where Art Thou? You know, about uh, basically the, you know, the trials and the tribulations of, of people, that, especially poor people. But he doesn't know what struggle is, so he's never struggled before. So his big idea is to become a hobo. And that's what, I mean, that's what they call him then. Yeah. Become a hobo for who knows however long and then you know figure out or, or discover the, the plight of the common man you know the poor man or whatever so the studio's against it but he's like you know i'm gonna do it anyways whatever so he does it he you know dresses up as a as a hobo from the costume shop the you know the props department costume department dresses mm-hmm. him up as a hobo he goes out and what i really liked about this is that the way that they play it is very much like uh I mean, you, and you still see this today. Whenever someone is, you know, a person of, of fame or power tries to either apologize for something they've done wrong or, you know, they want to live with the common man or whatever, you know, whatever it is, uh-huh. um, they, they kind of do this thing where they try to act, either they try to act like they know what it's like or they, you know, try to put themselves in, in places where it would seem like you know they're really live, living this hard life or whatever it's because they're trying to you know to bond with their common man or whatever when in reality they have no idea what it's like yeah. and they and obviously they won't because they don't live that day to day 
And I like what that they do with this movie because that's basically what they te- what they say is that like you can spend like two days with people and it doesn't matter because you don't live this life. You're not gonna understand them. You know, yeah. you're never gonna understand that struggle because you don't live it. Right. At you, the end of the day, you got that to go back to. Exactly. Yeah. You don't. And so. You don't have nothing to look forward to. Like exactly. Yeah. And he's, he's got like a van volume around that's so making sure he's okay and stuff. So he's never in danger, which he doesn't really like. You know, he thinks he's doing something, you know, noble or whatever. But it definitely can come off as it's, it's kind of almost ignorant. You know, it's, he's, or he's almost ignorant of how superficial that comes off. Like he doesn't realize that that's how it's coming off, you know. So anyways, that only lasts for a couple, uh, like maybe a full day or a couple days or whatever. And then he's like, well, I don't, I don't know if I really learned anything. So he's like, all right. So, so that his next trick is, or his next, not trick, his next um, idea is that he's going to hand out uh, $5 bills to all these people. And this is in LA in the forties. There's like a mass, there's like mass unemployment during this time. And so he's like, I'm going to go down there and just hand out $5 bills to all these people. You know, I want them to, to under, you know, to understand that I appreciate them or whatever he's doing. So he, so he goes down there and, He's carrying around a ton of cash with him. I think it's like a thousand dollars in fives or something. And so he's like flashing around, you know, he's giving it to people. Okay. But like one guy's like just follows him and knocks him out, takes all of his money. And then he's on a, he's basically knocked out and left on a train car. The train leaves. And when he wakes up, he doesn't remember what happened, but he's in a train yard. And at the time you couldn't be in a train. You know, you're hopping trains and it's, it's illegal, legal, yeah. um, especially in the train yard. They they basically tell you you can get off before you get in the train yard, but if you're in the train yard, you know we're gonna arrest you. So they arrest him. He gets put in. He actually gets put in prison. He doesn't know who he is, or he can't prove who he is or whatever. And so I don't really know if it's if he's in prison for days or weeks. They they're really unclear on that aspect of it. But anyways, like while he's in prison, I mean it's, you know he's forced into hard labor and all this stuff, and he's. Now he is living with the, with the with the common man, the poor man, and it's awful. And he has this epiphany where they're watching a cartoon, like a Mickey Mouse cartoon or something. Like all the prisoners get to watch a movie or whatever, like the, um, once a month or something, mm-hmm. once a week. And then like that's the only time where they're laugh, like the prisoners laugh and they have a good time and they look like they're happy. And so you know he has this epiphany that well maybe making people laugh isn't all kind of all that bad or whatever. But then he has this he has this idea to get himself out of there. You know, he's basically he basically says, I'm a I'm a famous director. I can, you know, I, I don't need to be here. I can get out anytime I want. And so he kind of he has this idea to get out. It works because he's a famous director and he can get out of any kind of thing. And then, you know, he goes back and they're like, OK, you can make your movie that you want to make. Oh, oh, sorry. All this time they thought he was dead, so oh. everyone had a, had a funeral for him and stuff. So he comes back and they're like, "Okay, you can make your your old brother wear out that movie." And he's like, "No, I want to make comedies because you know making people laugh isn't all that bad." You know, I, f- I found that out, and so well, that's kind of how it ends. And it's obviously a little bit trite and a little bit I don't I, it's it's a little cheesy, probably probably a lot cheesy. <laughs> I mean, definitely of the '40s. I mean, it definitely feels that time. Hmm. But I really liked that. I mean, there's a couple things that stood out, especially the intro part but whenever he goes when he's in prison he's like you know I'm, I'm famous i can get out of this anytime i want and he figures out how to get out of it because of his fame and i was kind of surprised that they had they actually had that in there because that's so true like rich and famous people don't ever have to have you know and he didn't do anything wrong so that's one thing but i mean they're you know you don't have consequences for your actions when you're that powerful you can literally do whatever you want and get out of it and i thought that was kind of a really interesting statement that they made 
within the movie. But yeah, I mean, this it's, it's really, really good. It has a lot, kind of, there's a lot to think about with it. And I do think it is a little bit sentimental, maybe a little overly sentimental, but I think most of the movies from the 40s were like that. Mm-hmm. It was kind of long-winded, but <laughs> definitely check out Sullivan's Travels, and that's from 1941. Nice. Thanks, man. Oh, that's streaming on the Criterion channel. Wrap it up here. Once again, you've proven yourself to be prescient beyond your (laughs) organizing and uh, recognition because uh, my number one movie is uh, one that you already just mentioned. It's 12 Angry Men by Sidney Lumet. Nice. Uh, We watched this as also part of uh, 10 Minute Cinema from 1957 version. This really, really, really surprised me. I had no real clue at all what it was about. My prejudice really kicked in as soon as I saw it was based on a play. I was like, oh, here we go. Yep. We've spoken before, I think, even on this podcast yeah. about how we dislike film yeah. versions of yep. plays. I'm because, the same. But this is just incredible. Exactly. Like, it doesn't feel like it. It Not at all. And it's insane because it literally is all in the jury room. They go back to deliberate. You don't see any of the trial. The, the, all, all the things you figure out, you're just people uh, reminiscing on what they just heard over yep. the last few days, weeks, months, maybe. It's just really, really impactful. And it kind of plays into what you just said, too. It's maybe kind of cheesy and idealistic, you know, at the end of the day. You can see the ending coming from a mile away, but just that journey that they take to get there is incredible. The cinematography is really neat. It's all in that one room, but you get, I don't know, maybe 12, 15 different angles uh, spread throughout. Each of the 12 men get their own unique, like, personalities and they all become actual characters. They're not just. There's nobody that's just there to be there. Yeah. They all have something unique about them, or some some way that they contribute to the whole proceeding. I think Henry Fonda just did an excellent job as uh, your main uh, hero in this movie, and, mm-hmm. and it just he's like I said earlier, he's just so idealistic. Like he, it's not even the fact that he's doing it because he thinks that the guy is innocent. He just does it because he you, you can't prove to me that he he's guilty right and that's what the whole court system is based on exactly of, you know that's like until you can prove without a doubt that he did this i don't want to send this man to his death they're going to give him the death penalty yeah and so he's like you know, we can't condemn another man to death until we sit here and we talk it through i'm not gonna vote guilty just because all the other 11 people did and it has to be unanimous so we're gonna sit here until we figure it out until you can convince me otherwise and he slowly just starts changing everybody else's opinion, and mm-hmm. everybody realizes, hey, yeah, we we didn't really think about that whenever they were doing things. And um, it's kind of a neat little like murder mystery too, you know, where they unravel everything mm-hmm. and figure out what what really happened. Well, not even really what really happened, but just that the fact that this guy committed the murder is not in any shape or form realistic. They're able to shoot down a lot of the different evidence that the that had been presented in the trial. The the atmosphere around this also is just incredible. It's it's 1957. It's set in Chicago in a hot summer day, and you feel every inch yeah. of it, man. Mm-hmm. It is sweltering. They all look fucking miserable. Yeah. They're cracking windows. They're trying to get some heat because the fan's broken. Towards the end of the movie, there's a thunderstorm, and it starts to rain, and you can just feel like the relief, but then also like the swelteringness of the, the humidity and the right. moisture hitting them also. And so it's a very brief relief, and then it just goes back to being miserable again. It just It's really excellently done. It's... A very good movie, and it just really, like I said, it, it blew me away. Especially 
I think the fact that I was so prejudiced against it from those initial opening credits, like that even helped elevate it even more because it, it took even more of a swing, you know? Yeah. If I came in at a, a normal level and then like was impressed by it, that'd be something. But to come in feeling, you know, uh, kind of, you know, negative about it and then having that come up and be such a positive spin towards the end of it was just really, really moving. And yeah. this is a, an excellent film that I think everybody should be required to watch. It seems it's very good. So 12 Angry Men from 1957. It's great to see two Sydney Lamette movies on here, man. That's Absolutely. great. Check him out. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for the uh, previously on version of the podcast. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back with our top 10 movies from 2022. Let's do it. All right, our break is over, and we are ready to go with our top 10 lists for 2022 movies. Yep, 2022. What a year. It kind of was. Yeah, it was. Not bad for movies. Not too bad. I think there were more movies this year that I loved as opposed to last year. Actually, I think I was looking back at that, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's at least like a handful of movies this year that I just absolutely loved. I don't even know if there were a couple movies last year, I think, that maybe would be on the same level maybe for yeah. me i don't know okay maybe you should start this one since i started the oh yeah other okay. one. what do you think i'm done with that cool all right well we're gonna start off with one you might not expect and the audience might not expect but uh i just i really had to put it up there it's called rescue rangers nice this this is a movie that i think i'm pretty sure was made specifically for me this was one of my favorite cartoons when i was a kid yep, loved it. Uh, it hit me right in that time when it's like i don't know like fourth fifth sixth grade i think was when it was on as soon as i came home from school the new episode was there and, and you get five episodes a week and it was always there for you and this was a, a perfect blending because it's from the the lonely island guys so i've, I've been a big fan of their uh, music yeah. and their movies also i forgot they did uh, this yeah so akaiva is the director and andy sandberg does the voice of dale and john mulaney is the voice of chip and it's just a, a modern day reboot in a, in a way um, but it also like i guess not a reboot because it, it it acknowledges all the former stuff so it's it's just basically a modern day sequel so it's really <laughs> a lot of fun really cool comedy it's, it's in that lonely island style if you like that but not quite as raunchy obviously because it's you know it's made for disney and so a kid's cartoon so it's, and this is for disney plus came out back in may and I've seen it a couple times and just really had some good belly laughs throughout it. It's kind of also a an homage and a, a modern day retelling of uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Okay. Because it's got a really neat blend of uh, human with cartoons. And it's like they all live together in the same world kind of thing. Oh, okay. It's uh, Chip and Dale. And Dale fucked up as he usually does throughout the series. <laughs> and uh, he, he got... The show canceled because he wanted to do his own spinoff called Double O Dale, where he was a secret agent. <laughs> he did the pilot for that, and it failed. Since he wasn't there to film Rescue Rangers, that one also failed. So both shows just collapsed in the same time, and everybody kind of split up and went off their own ways. And this is set, like, 25 years in the future. Um, there's a uh, Monterey Jack, was one of the side characters oh, yeah. from Rescue Rangers, and he's in some, some trouble with the, the mob. He ends up calling on both chip and dale but neither of them know about it they both arrive basically at the same time to try to help him end up trying to the, the classic you know buddy cop you know yeah antagonistic but they got to work together to try to solve the crime as he gets kidnapped and later on they, they bring in 
Gadget and Zipper. They're actually married now with like 42 kids. Oh my God. And they're like half mouse, half fly. And it's just amazing. <laughs> and it's so funny. I can't think of his name, but the the the, the dude with the, the real deep voice from like the, the Geico oh, commercials and stuff. He yeah, does the yeah. voice of Zipper and it's hilarious. Oh, I just nice. laugh every time he even opens his mouth. But yeah, like I said, probably not for everybody. Most people are going to think it's silly and cheesy and stupid, but man, I just, oh. I had such a great time and it was, it was so funny. They do so many different references and callbacks and Easter eggs and stuff, even to more current things. Like one of my favorite gags, you'll probably enjoy this. They have Dale is on the convention circuit with a bunch of other like failed cartoons, and he's he's sitting in a booth signing autographs across from Ugly Sonic, oh, the one no. with the human teeth yes. that they ended up the, the <laughs> fan they outraged and caused them to redraw and reanimate. That's brilliant. So he yeah he's just a failure. He's like Ugly Sonic, and he's, <laughs> I, I got this new show. I'm gonna be. I'm going to be riding along with the FBI. So it's like a Steven Seagal type thing where he's oh, like a yeah. cop now. And Oh, man, it's just so fun. <laughs> it's oh, got man. some really good gags in it. But, yeah, just all kinds of little cameos and Easter eggs and stuff. It's, it's a lot of fun. That sounds great. I'm sold. Yeah. I loved uh, Rescue Rangers as a kid, too. That was that was one of my favorites. I completely forgot that that came out. And that's on Disney Plus, right? Mm-hmm. It's yep. Just... yep, it was a Disney Plus original. So, so it's live action mixed animation mm-hmm. yeah. with, with several forms of animation because oh, that's man. one of the other great yeah. jokes because dale got reconstructive surgery because he's trying to stay current <laughs> so he's cgi animated but dale or uh, chip is still classic <laughs> cell shaded animation and so it, awesome. yeah it's so good yeah i've definitely got to check that yeah i'm sold on that one all right cool all right so what i have is uh extremely serious yeah, follow that <laughs> yeah right <laughs> it is like ultra serious dude it's the only documentary I have oh. on the uh, on my list, and I actually just watched this recently. It's called Navalny. It's about Alexei Navalny, who was a uh, who is a um, lawyer, but he was like a uh, political figure in Russia, and he was kind of the only legit competition that Putin had in the last election. So it's a, it follows his story. I don't know if you remember it, but in 2020 he was poisoned by Putin and. He actually lived, and uh, the only reason he lived was because he was poisoned right before he got on a flight, and they were able to divert the flight when he started having, like, just incredible pain. So they were able to divert the flight. People on the ground uh, saved his life, and he was, you know, rushed to the hospital, but his family didn't want him in, in a Russian hospital. They were afraid that they were going to try to kill him. And so, like, the documentary uses footage from then, and kind of tells you the story of that. But then also, he survives. And so once he survives, he decides that he's going to investigate his own attempted murder. Yeah, assassination. So yeah. he's he kind of enlists the help of a, uh, a guy that spe- kind of specializes in everything from the digital world. So he's like a, almost an investigator from that aspect of it. And he's able to get on the dark web and get all this information. The way that it plays out is like a real-life espionage thriller, spy thriller thing. It is just amazing, uh, the stuff that they find out. It's like the the brazenness that the like the these political leaders and the uh, kind of the police and their you know their their main people or whatever you want to call them, like a hit squad or whatever. Like the the brazenness that they have, but also the stupidity with which they operate is like on another level. It's incredible, but it's also like extremely extremely depressing from an aspect of like yeah russia is like really yeah. screwed <laughs> it's, it's a really sad situation but like just the the whole 
basically how they how they set it up and how it plays out is is absolutely fascinating. Um, highly recommend it. If I would have seen it earlier, I might have had it even higher on my list. But I mean, I kind of just watched it, so I wanted to definitely add it. But yeah, that's number ten for me, and it's streaming on HBO Max, and that's called uh, Navalny. So as you were talking, I realized that I'm the Dale in the relationship. I'm just talking about this silly thing, and <laughs> you just bring it on home. I mean, totally harsh the buzz here, buddy. Yeah, my my bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> got to bring it all serious. All right, well, I will uh, keep the the comedy and the insanity rolling. Then there we go. Not quite as wacky, but it definitely gets out there. My next film was called Triangle of Sadness oh, man. by Ruben Ostlund. I really wanted to see this. He uh, is a Norwegian director, and this is his first fully English language film. It's a story st- told in three parts, three different acts. It has act breaks, you know, a title card in between to, to help like separate. But um, essentially, the first act, you're following a uh, social media influencer and her boyfriend, who is also a male model. So just... Peak attractiveness, just going for the you know the oh, likes yeah. and the mentions and everything else, and they end up getting invited along on a luxury cruise. The ocean liner um, invites them specifically because of their you know popularity and online notoriety, so that they can help promote everything and you know and look at all these other you know, beautiful people and mm-hmm. they're rich and famous and everybody's having a great time and. It becomes um, from that, that. That's the part of the first act, and then things kind of devolve as throughout the movie after that. So I don't want to give away too too much because it's one you definitely want to know a little, you know, less about when you're going into it. But um, needless to say, there's um, with all the rich and famous people that are on the ship, it very much contrasts with the crew of the ship, who are specifically instructed by their supervisor to say yes do whatever you can to please these people because yeah. you know that's the way we want to do things here that's how we, we're running things so no matter what the request is you know go for it say yes and a couple of the crew members have some very compromising situations they get put into where it's pretty obvious that they shouldn't say yes but and they've been told and instructed that they have to so at one point they all start uh going off of an inflatable water slide into the ocean because one of them, the rich ladies like in, insisted upon it. Uh-huh. And so they're just like fighting to try to, you know, have like a side boat to like haul them back up to get them back onto the ocean liner oh because God. they just slid off into the ocean. Oh and everything really kind of culminates at the captain's dinner for the end of Act 2. And it is just a brilliant like comedy of errors. Um, the captain of the ship, I will do the slight spoiler on that just in case that'll help. I think rope a few people in because it's played by Woody Harrelson, and awesome. He throughout the entire first act and most of the second act leading up to the captain's dinner is just secluded in his cabin, just getting fucking wasted, <laughs> and he tries to sober up and recover enough to do this. Uh, uh, I guess I guess that's an actual thing on like cruises and luxury liners and stuff. Is it's a very very important thing the to get invited dinner. to yeah. eat dinner with the captain yeah. one night. And, yeah, they, they eat dinner with the captain amidst uh, a big, very big thunderstorm, and that just devolves, and the hilarity ensues, and and the third act just gets bonkers and goes to a place you would probably not expect, so I won't say anything more about that, but yeah, definitely check out Triangle of Sadness. Uh, I think it's going to be coming to, to streaming and video soon, so definitely check it out. Yeah, I really wanted to watch that one. I missed it when it was in 
it's like in theaters for a week or something around here. Yeah. I missed it. I really wanted to see it. So that's definitely on my list. All right. For my number nine, I have mm-hmm. R. Let's drag it down again. No, no, no. no this no. this oh, is this coming is, on. You're coming on board. This is uh, completely different here. Okay. This is R R R. Oh, a it's pirate a movie. Indian, R. <laughs> it's an Indian, basically Bollywood movie, but it's an action movie. Okay. It's on Netflix. It is absolutely glorious, insane, fun, very adventure, action adventure, um, but all kind of set with the Bollywood feel. So everything's over the top. It's uh, essentially it's like these uh, these two two men. One is kind of undercover in the British Army. So this is uh, I think of the early 1900s. So when when England is basically you know in, in, enslaving India and mining you know mining and and you know destroying their their land all that other stuff. Um. So so one of the, one of the main guys is decided that the only way that he can kind of like help his people is to infiltrate the army, but, but be like a soldier and then kind of get close. And then, you know, from there he'll, you know, just start destroying things or cause mass chaos or whatever he can do. And so, but he's like, you know, kind of a superhuman, both these guys are like kind of superhuman. They have like these crazy, I don't know, they're just crazy powerful, can jump real far, all this kind of stuff. And then the, uh, kind of the other guy, in the story is of the jungle and he is like a, uh, almost like a figure that kind of like speaks with the jungle and like the animals kind of obey him to a certain extent. Like they're still wild. They'll still, you know, try to attack him. But at the same time, he can kind of get them to, to do what he wants at times. And so you have the, like, kind of these two forces and it's, this movie's forever long. It's like three hours long. So for the first kind of half of the movie, they're, you know, fighting against each other. Because they don't understand, like, neither one of them understands where the other one's coming from. Once they realize that, they kind of team up and have to take out the, you know, the the British or whatever they're there. But it's just, it's so much fun. Just, it's one of those kind of turn off your brain kind of fun movies that is just out there and crazy. Uh, the action sequences are, are really, really cool. They're, they storm this, um, uh, it's kind of like a compound, I guess, where the, like, the, the British royalty are staying. And they basically break in and it's all these animals attacking so you have like tigers and um just like random beasts all over the place and they're like tearing people apart <laughs> it's wild man it's so much fun but yeah it's uh it's rrr and it is a lot of fun a lot of fun yeah i the main reason i'd heard about this is apparently it's like selling out all kinds of midnight shows out in la yeah That's yeah like it's, the big, it's it's big trendy thing is everybody huge. going and Yep. Just having a good time. It's hugely popular, and it started on Netflix. I mean, that's where most people in the States have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's, like, the largest movie ever in India, maybe? Like, that actually, for, from Box India office. made. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And that director has another movie that I haven't watched, but it's on Netflix as well. I'll have to check that out. I can't remember what the title is, but um, definitely check this one out. It's so much fun. It's a blast. Nice. See, I, I made it light and, and nice. and Yeah. Not too sad. Good job. I'm <laughs> proud of you. All right. Well, my next one is going to be a little controversial, I think. A little bit of a hot take here, but anybody that knows me knows it's probably going to be on this list because I'm a huge Sam Raimi fan, and this is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, no. Fully admit, this movie has its flaws, you know, especially with uh, some of its plot and storytelling, but it's got some sequences that just really, really were so much fun for me. 
and it was like hearkening back to classic Raimi and this was Raimi getting the budget that he never had really you know back in the day to do a, a take on a horror superhero tale He's, he spends Disney's money wisely I think there's some some really cool horrific effects the Scarlet Witch just goes uh, a little bonkers and and is truly a terrifying creature really for the middle middle section of this movie um, even up and towards the end I don't know I, I think a lot of people have probably already seen this uh, I don't know that I'd really recommend it unless you're a, a fan like I said of, of, of Raimi as I am the Bruce Campbell cameo just slayed me and comes back at the end for the one of the after credit teases yeah just a fun time I really enjoyed myself and on a rewatch if I had not rewatched it it might have been higher but on the rewatch the the lows did drag me down a bit more. That's why it's down here in the in the eight spot. But uh, still had to get up there because it just was a fun time for me. I had a, I had a yeah. good time. I will I will say that the I mean the absolute best parts of the movie are when you can tell it's Raimi. Mm-hmm. I mean those are that's the only really the only parts of the movie that I liked are those those parts where you're like yeah that's that same Raimi getting to do what he wants. Yeah, and those are a lot of fun. Yeah, and very recognizable. Oh yeah, Raimi for sure. Fans. Yeah, absolutely for sure. That music no battle is going to be one of the best sequences. Yeah. One of the best fights in Marvel history to me. So much fun. My number eight. You might you might have this on your list. I don't know. You don't um, know. I don't we know. We didn't share this. No. We, we, we went into this blind. So my number eight is Barbarian. Ooh. This is, uh, if, you, if you've not seen this movie and you've not really heard about it, I mean, that's almost impossible, but if you don't know anything about it, that's the best way to go into this movie is mm-hmm. completely blind. That's how I went into it. I knew nothing about the movie. I really didn't even know who was in it, and it is <laughs> one of the most bonkers movies I've ever seen. There are basically – this is actually kind of set up in three acts too. I mean, all movies are essentially, but this one has has two very dramatic cuts. Breaks, yeah. Yeah, that just completely cut and you are in a completely different place in a different story it feels like. And what I loved about those – when those happen is that it really gets you out of your – kind of gets you out of your head as to what was going on before. And it leaves you almost disoriented in a oh, in a way, yeah. But it's like it's in a way to almost get you to kind of question what you just saw. But it's also like the story's progressing, so you gotta kind of just go with it. And I do feel like if I mean that's pretty good indication is if you're going to if you're gonna go with this movie or not. When that first cut happens. If you're out, you're never coming back. Yeah. But if you're in, then hold on, because it, it is just a crazy, crazy ride. I don't know that I've seen anything exactly like this. Um, there have been other movies that maybe have told a similar story or have had kind of a similar creature, whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But nothing like this. Um, it is uh, it's great. And yeah. it was... Uh, he does a very good job of zigging when you think he's going to Exactly. Zag. Yeah, it, it doesn't really, it never really goes where you're expecting it to go, which is so difficult to do, I feel like, nowadays, especially with horror movies, because there are so many, and so many good ones. So this year specifically had fantastic horror movies. You had, I mean, from all different kind of mini genres within the horror genre itself, you had a ton of different just great films in general. Absolutely check out Barbarian. It, it's a little bit, it definitely has like the gross out. It has like the intense kind of, um, intense thriller kind mm-hmm. of thing too. A little bit of a mystery, 
Um, Lots of anxiety. Yeah, tons of anxiety. A little bit of action. So it has basically everything you're kind of looking for, but it's in a different package. So mm-hmm. definitely check this out. It's on uh, HBO Max right now. Oh, nice. I didn't realize that. Yeah. I might need to rewatch them. And that is Barbarian. We're going to stay in the horror genre a little bit yes. here, buddy. Because my number seven movie is Smile. Nice. This movie. Almost put it on my list. Really, really got to me, man. It it affected me. Horror rarely does that. As you said, we've, mm-hmm. we've both seen a lot of it, especially lately, uh, being big fans of the genre. And, you know, you kind of get to, like, okay, yeah, I get to expect things and... And I can still recognize, you know, good performances. And if they do something well, it's like, okay, you know, good for them. They did a good job here. But, man, this one really, really stuck with me. It's the way that it digs into, like, psychosis and psychology and devolving into insanity as you try to escape a fate that you know is coming and you can't stop. And the director did such a good job in this one of... Uh, like not letting you plant your feet he can shift yeah. anything at a moment's notice and that terrifies me it unnerves me and it, it really got to me in this one like i think this started back you know i'm going to go a little therapy here this started back whenever i was a kid watching the nightmare on elm street movies where mm-hmm. you know you, you get those famous dream sequences from yeah. Wes craven where you don't really know it's a dream until fuck oh shit yeah. there's freddie and he's killing this girl <laughs> like uh that 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 really like threw a curveball at me whenever I was a kid like you know I was very used to a lot of films and both TV also like this you know what you see is what you get mm-hmm. and yeah you just follow along okay this is our hero this is our villain this is what we're doing this and then it's like whoa okay and basically ever since that point any any movie that does like dream stuff or just anything blending unreality and it's like it just, it's like, whoa, that's, I, I, my mind still can't grasp it out. I'm just along for the ride the entire time, and I'm never, even, you could drop a, a shit ton of hints in the scene that this is not real, and I probably won't realize it until the character does. And it's like, oh, go, go, God, okay. <laughs> well, now I can't trust this person. Right. And, and even knowing that, like, you're forced to, because that, she dominates the movie. This right. is her, this yep. is her movie. She's, she's digging into things, and, and it's just very unnerving, and. Very well done. That's a neat little uh, creature movie. And the demon in this is very brutal. It's a very like heavily rooted in just sadness, really. Yeah. Uh, the the tragedy of everything, as it like forces people to kill themselves in front of other people to 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 jump to them, and the the, the trauma that that ensues, and it just wears you down and feeds off of you as you just go crazy. It's just a, a very, very solid acting job um, from everybody involved, and it uh, it's very good. It's on Paramount Plus, and it's called Smile. Yes, it really surprised me. I expected it to be super silly and cheesy, mm-hmm. and it is not yeah, at we, all. We talked about that yeah. a couple times in text. Yeah, like, yeah. I see in trailers, you know, before some of these other movies, and it's like, okay, well, then, yeah, they could. That's going to be like a. I even thought it was PG-13 going yeah, into it. I exactly. didn't realize it was rated R, and you realize it's rated oh, R yeah. very quickly. Yeah, it's 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 super disturbing, and it's more uh, like the uh, it's way more graphic than I expected. Like yeah, yeah, all all the way around, it was it was far better than I expected. Um, but yeah, it definitely sticks with you. Yep. It almost it was like right there for me. I almost made my list. 
Alright, so I have at number seven, I have Prey, the Predator sequel. To me, it's easily the best Predator since the original. That's not really close, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, that's not maybe that hard to do, but um, uh, I just, I loved everything about this movie. I loved, absolutely loved the setting, loved the 1700s, the Comanches, the uh, French uh, fur trappers, or whatever they are. Man, just. The i the, that idea alone is is just super interesting in general, and then you just drop a predator there, and that makes it even better. The action scenes are amazing, uh, like all the set pieces and action sequences are are very memorable. Like all the kill scenes are awesome. Really, there's I don't think there's anything wrong with this movie. It's it's super super good. It's really really hope that they kind of stick with this kind of idea for sequels in the future. I would love to see, I mean, just basically dropping a Predator in different time periods on Earth would be amazing. And watching them battle with whatever they come in contact with. Time periods, cultures, exactly. countries, whatever, yeah. And just immersing that world within that, that culture or wherever you are. I mean, that would just be, that would be the best you could make those forever. But I really like how they, uh, I mean, they, they do a really great job of showing you the, like, the Comanches, basically, the, the culture. One thing that really stuck out to me was that... Uh, Whenever, uh, like at the very beginning, one of them, they kind of uh, get lost. And so they send us kind of a search party out to find this guy. Anytime, I don't know, in, in, usually in movies or whatever, when you see like the Braves, they're always, maybe they're portrayed by older people. But like in actuality, they were young. They were teenagers and they were like really young people. Um, and that's what they do with this movie. They, they like get that absolutely right where they're the young braves that go off to try to find this bird, like the search party isn't made up of a bunch of older people. It's like these kids basically who are, you know, kind of just starting out, I guess on their journey or whatever. So I really, really like that aspect of it. But I mean, overall, just everything about it's fantastic. And that's uh prey that's streaming on Hulu. The next one got a slight tinge as you had a feeling earlier. I, I think that this, uh, this could be on your list, maybe a little higher, probably. Not that I have any qualms with that, but it just happened to place number six for me. It's called uh, The Banshees of Inishirin. It's uh, the newest movie from Martin McDonough, reuniting uh, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson from In Bruges, which is a movie he did in 2008, nine somewhere in there probably. Yeah. This one is set on an island off of Ireland. It's in the 1920s or so. Mm-hmm. The Irish Civil War is going on between Northern Ireland and Ireland in the background across the way and it just focuses mostly on their two characters who are uh, seem to be lifelong friends all of a sudden one day Brendan Gleeson's character decides that he no longer wishes to be friends with Colin Farrell he just annoys him is, is bored by him the conversations are just mundane and meaningless and he wants to actually do something with his life so he he wants to, to cut all ties and just no longer be friends and that just cannot sink in with Colin Farrell's character. <laughs> and no matter how hard Gleason tries to enforce things, so he decides to take things to a very, very, very drastic level throughout, and just the escalation and the way this friendship devolves and evolves at the same time from both ends is uh, just really incredible. Basically, the entire plot is not really a story-heavy movie, very much a character-type movie, but it does a, a very good job in can't think of the girl's name that plays Colin Farrell's sister at the moment, but uh, she does an excellent job too. Uh, really adds a an extra layer to the film. 
bringing in an outsider's point of view. The uh, the village idiot character is, is very fun. Also, does a good job of bringing in some some good humor and some <laughs> different scenes. Also, I just had a, a pretty fun time, and it's a very good watch. Definitely want to rewatch it with subtitles. I don't pick up on accents as well as I used to, uh, especially being partially deaf in my left ear now. And it, there's definitely a lot of good lines I probably missed. There were people laughing when I was kind of staring at the screen. I was like, shit, what'd they just say? <laughs> so I'm very excited to watch this with subtitles. Yeah. But that's uh, The Banshees of Inishiran. Carrie Condon. Is oh, okay. The, yeah. Is the sister. That's on my list later. I kind of figured. Little preview. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I have... This one actually had a couple surprising movies on make my list. Other than Barbarian, this one's probably the most surprising it actually might even be more surprising. It's called The Menu. I did not really expect... I didn't expect this movie at all. I mean, I, I saw the trailer and I was like, yeah, it looks fine. I'll, I'll take a chance and go watch it. And I was just absolutely blown away. The script is so smart. It's just absolutely, like, razor sharp. It's a very... It's, it's a perfect blend of kind of dark comedy and thrills at the same time it has horrific elements like horror horror film elements to it so it kind of feels like a horror film at times but it's also kind of not at the same time like i said the script is just it's so it's so wicked it has these like basically has a lot of little um kind of barbs and jabs that uh people throw out to each other throughout the movie and that they work so well that it's uh, it's I don't know how to explain it other than it's it's just like it's joyful <laughs> and it's also like kind of uh, scary at the same time. Okay. <laughs> so like when they make anytime they they're kind of like uh, going after each other verbally or whatever, it, it's like amazing that they could kind of script that at the same time. And then it's also like wow, it's pretty dark. But this is uh, essentially it kind of starts out where you have a group of people they're all very very rich very wealthy an actor like some think they're like with a trading firm like a stock stock bros or whatever um so you got a couple of those just you know just kind of a wealthier class of people and i think it's every month this renowned world-renowned chef makes a new menu and he only you only get an invitation so you can only you're only able to come if if he invites you so you know, these people get to, you know, they show up and, he, you know, this is the only people that he's going to, to cook for or whatever. Rife Fines plays the the chef. And one of the, the so the main person is Anya Taylor-Joy, who's just amazing in everything. But she's really, really great in this. So she shows up, but she actually wasn't invited. The person that was invited, her boyfriend, basically, or the guy that brought her, his girlfriend didn't either couldn't come there it's pretty you don't really know why so he brings anya taylor joy in her place well she's not supposed to be there so you have this like instant tension between her and chef and you kind of don't really understand why until like just as 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 the night goes on you know more is revealed and you get to understand that like he has a very very specific special plan for this evening and he had designed for certain people to be there and she kind of throws a wrench in that plan. So you have kind of added this little mystery to it. But yeah, it, it really blew me away. I was not expecting to like it that much at all. And I really, really loved it. That is The Menu. 
and it's on HBO Max. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. Okay, I'll definitely check it out. Yeah, that was, that was one I really wanted to catch in theaters, but didn't get a chance to, so I will definitely check that out. A little bit of uh, synergy again, though, between us, because, uh, as you mentioned, Anya Taylor-Joy is fantastic in anything she is in. She was also in my number five movie, which is The Northman. Yes. Robert Eggers' new film. Essentially, a uh, retelling of Hamlet set in Norse Viking times. Mm -hmm. The thematic elements of this movie and just the, the way that you get enveloped into that world just really just drag you in you're just along for the ride it, it literally looks like he brought a camera back to norse times and yeah it, it you just get such a cool vibe and cool effect from everything it's a really you know obviously well-told story um it, it just does such a good job and it's very very brutal and it, not much else i can really say about it i just really really connected with me a lot and just some really beautiful shots of cinematography it's just really great and uh I'd recommend it to pretty much anybody that wants to sit down and enjoy a little little flick. It's on uh, Peacock. It's streaming on Peacock now. So, yeah, that's I I got to rewatch that one. I really enjoyed that. I love the imagery, especially like the the old Norse myth- mythology imagery mm-hmm. they threw in there. Man, Alexander Skarsgård is a beast. Oh yeah, <laughs> he really is. Like he like grunts and stuff like a like he is like a yeah, mad very beast. Feral. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's it's uh that's fantastic. It's a good one. I had a lot of fun in that one. Blank and hot. Nicole Kidman. Actually, yeah. one of her better performances in a long time. Yeah, I agree. She did a very great job. Lots of cool twists with her character. So. Alrighty, my number five is uh, a movie that has been remade several times. This is the best version I've ever seen of it. It's All Quiet on the Western Front. It's a German film. So I think that has a lot to do with like this version. Obviously, it's, it's told from a German perspective. So I think their perspective on war is going to be a lot different from obviously from an American or whatever, but it's, it's, um, it feels more realistic. Whereas I think we tend to, uh, kind of fetishize and I don't know, make, we, we try to romanticize war, I think a little too much, maybe not as much as we used to, but from this perspective is, is like the most realistic version of, of war. And not just the effect of war on the battlefield, but like overall for for our country. This is World War One. This is World War One, correct? So they take a lot of uh, there's a lot of similarities from 1917 as far as how it's shot, and actually I think it is most of it is taking place in 1917. You know, there's a lot of those tracking shots that are just beautiful and like horrific at the same time. But this one, this one has a lot more to say, in my opinion. I love. I thought 1917 was technically brilliant, but it felt almost a little hollow at times. This one definitely wants wants to let you know that war is absolute hell. It's a very bleak outlook on what war does to you and to to people, to basically everyone that that is involved in it. And to the land itself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. To me, the way I mean, that trench warfare just tore that. Exactly. Up. Yeah. It's, I mean, they they're literally still dealing with that today. Like it's they're still remnants of, of bombs that have never exploded that are still in farmers fields like they, they still have to go through and, and take those out it's just incredible the amount of damage done in world war one um, but this one basically it shows you how war is a machine um, and how it's designed only to be fed by the bodies of poor people and how basically 
we get deceived or, you know, I think we still do, but you get deceived by those in power to, you know, put your life on the line and then you're just kind of ground up and it's just the next man, you know, they just, they show it early on in the movie where they take um, the clothes from the uniforms from soldiers that had died and they just kind of patch them up and give them to the next man because they, they don't have enough. And, uh, you know, the, the soldier looks in the, the, uh, the tag and it actually has initials from the person that he just that just died literally and he's like asking him what you know what's that mean he's like oh that was uh you know it was probably just you know someone meant for someone else but you get it today or something like that you know but it basically just shows you how that machine just grinds and grinds and grinds and it just like you know it doesn't it, it just takes men and it basically boys essentially and it takes all of them and then just grinds them out and then just you know you just kind of fill it again with the, with the next person. And obviously that's a lot different from how warfare works now. But during World War One, that was essentially all they had. I mean, they just poured bodies, just put bodies up there, and they lost, I mean, whole towns lost entire populations of, of men. And it's just devastating. And um, to me, that was kind of what this, what the, they're conveying or whatever with this, yeah, with the, this movie. The yeah. My kind of only complaint I have was, the score at times has this kind of bombastic uh, Hans Zimmer, like the bomb thing from like, the, um, what was that? Uh, Inception. Hmm. And it, it does it at really odd times. And I don't, it doesn't really fit with the, the movie. The rest of the score is really good. It's, it's really odd. It only does it maybe four or five times throughout the movie, but every time it does it, it takes me, it for me, it took me out of the movie and I was like, ah, that's not, that doesn't work for me. But other than that, I thought it was fantastic. It is, like I said, it's extremely bleak. So just be ready, be ready to be depressed for a while. Okay. Um, but that's actually streaming on Netflix. Oh, um, is it really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's fantastic. Okay. Oh, that was uh, all quiet on the on the Western Front. Next up for me for number four now, right? Yes, sir. We're going back to the horror genre, and it's a little film called X. Yes. By Ty West. This movie really kind of. Hit me at the at the right time. I, I had a very good time watching it. Very much an homage to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and a lot of the the seventies type of uh, slasher movies. A group of kids in nineteen seventy nine that are looking to capitalize and get in on the ground floor of the uh, pornographic wave that's starting to hit the United States. Uh, Debbie Does Dallas is one of the most popular films of the time, and they figure they can get in on the ground floor, make a quick buck, and uh, so the main character has a Basically like the owner of a strip club and get some of uh, his friends and a couple employees to travel and they're going to just shoot a, a quick film and get it out there and just become rich and famous. And they go to this uh, West Texas farmhouse where they've essentially rented out the guest house for the weekend from a, an old man and his wife that are that have tended the farm and things just get really crazy from there. Uh, as a a perfect setup. Uh, it's got a, a nice little framed f- uh, movie with a, an introduction and then that shows you glimpses of what's to come. And then over the next 30, 40 minutes, you kind of forget some of it. And then it comes back and hits you in a big way. A lot of gruesome kills, but that's one of those where you kind of empathize a little bit with the killers. You can kind of see their point of view, but you also still feel really bad for the victims. That they do. He does a very good job of characterizing everybody in this. Yeah. Everyone is really very likable. There's no one that you dislike at all. You can really see everybody's uh, opinions, and it, it makes a lot of sense. And it was a, a very cool, really uh, really good throwback 
to a different time and a different era, and had, he really has a, a good franchise on his hands now, um, as he's made a, a prequel and is going to be making a sequel now. Man, Mia Goth just, whew, she she's the future, man. Yeah, she she really is unbelievable. Yeah, I love that gal to death. It's it's very good stuff. That was X. Mm, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but it's available. Like it, you can rent it, buy it on uh, Blu-ray DVD. It was or, it was streaming on somewhere. Was I it? see that. Might be Prime, might be Amazon Prime. It was streaming. I saw it streaming somewhere. Okay. Um. So you should be able to find it. Yeah. It, it, unbelievable. I love that one too. Like you said, Mia Goth. Just man, she is. She's on fire. Yeah. Watch out for her. Absolutely. So next up for me, I have Tar with Kate Blanchett, and it is. I just feel like this is like kind of her lifetime performance because it is mesmerizing and just fantastic i really liken this so not necessarily the movie but i really liken the how that's performance driven to there will be blood how that movie would not work without daniel day lewis it just wouldn't yeah like it wouldn't even be anything without that performance and that's agree. Yeah. and that's how tar is i mean tar okay. yeah the, without and it's that it's that elevated performance where it's on par with that performance from daniel day lewis in my opinion like uh, this is and you're, I think you're ready to lock her in for best actress. I think so, man. I mean, she is just unbelievable, and it's it's another one of those performances, kind of like I was talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman earlier with Capote. Like she just in, embodies this character in every single gesture and movement, and like just she does like the facial acting she does alone is just just a little you know raise of an eyebrow or just the little things that she does just amazing i mean absolutely mesmerizing performance it's also like the script is, is super great one of the better scripts i i am sure it'll be nominated i don't know if it'll win but it'll definitely be nominated for best original screenplay and as strong as that is still like without kate blanchett's performance it would just would not work so yeah the script is is well written but without the depth and humanity that blanchett brings to the script it would be basically lifeless so it's it's like her her breath that gives it life and like her very embodiment of Lydia Tarr is just like, it's always fascinating. Like everything she does is, is fascinating. I think another movie that's like almost three hours long, I think it's, it's up there. And I mean, what it's about is, I guess obviously it's, it's important, but it's really just so performance driven for me that I, that that was barely secondary. And I really didn't know much about it before I watched it, but she is a, uh, conductor for orchestras and she's like kind of the best in the world and she gets this kind of job of uh, not i don't know if it's like the job of an of like the opportunity she's always wanted something like that and while that happens there are complaints against her of like um kind of abuse both like almost like i think it's uh, like a sexual sexual ac- accusations against her sexual abuse but also like just abuse in general too kind of mental and, and mental abuse against against someone psychological abuse almost and so like at her height of her like career she also has this come in, in, into play what i absolutely loved about how they handled this was we never know what happened we're never shown what happened we're never even told what happened um in detail like we don't ever get to see like someone else's point of view so all we have to go off of is what information were given through um like people talking to her and kind of her reactions to that which i thought was really really interesting kind of a 
a different turn. Like usually you get almost too much information when it comes to stuff like that. So this one plays it the opposite way. So you don't really know if these accusations are true or not. Like they definitely could be, but they also, maybe they, they weren't, you know, they're not true. Um, but I really like that. I really like how they, it's, it's very kind of vague in that, in that regard. It just makes it more interesting in my opinion. So yeah, so that's kind of the, the, the whole crux of the movie. It's, it's one of those films where there's a ton of dialogue and it's, it's, it's mostly like, you know, mostly dialogue. It's a dialogue driven film. So there's not a lot of like action that happens or whatever, but it's just, it's, she is just absolute joy to watch uh, Kate Blanchett and it's amazing. So if you're, if you love performance driven movies, this is the one of the year. Yeah, for sure. Tar. I have to check that out before the Oscar race starts up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I can't really see someone else beating her out for that, honestly. Wow. Maybe Michelle Yeoh. I think she's like a long shot. But yeah, I mean, I I think she kind of got has it locked up. We're into the the top three now. So number three for me is also very uh, dialogue driven with not much action. I am kidding. It's Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> this movie just really just goes 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 goes. It's a very generic and oft-used adjective to say that a movie is fun, but that's really the best way to describe this movie. It's just, it's pure, pure fun. You're just, you're ready to go. You're, you, you can't help but enjoy it, I don't think. It's just such a crowd-pleasing movie. Mm-hmm. Myself, I was notably not even that much of a Top Gun fan. We've discussed this a few times on the A to Z show. It's one of Zach's favorite movies. He watched it all the time as a kid. I'd never seen it until I was in college, and I watched it one night, probably like half drunk with some friends, and I didn't really understand it or really appreciate it much. Yeah, I think it's maybe one of those that you really have to, to see at a, at a younger, impressionable age to really sure. dig into it that much. But, man, this, this Maverick, it, it brings everything to another level. It's so well-made and so edge of your seat and like the... The flying scenes in this are just incredible. The one that the footage they got using like specialized cameras and harnesses and everything, and just you, you, I mean, it's one of the taglines of the movie, whatever. But you, you really feel the speed, like it's, it's, it's just in your face and it's tense and insane and and yet capable. Like you, you fully trust all these pilots. These are the best of the best, and you're in good, capable hands. And these are the only people that could do this mission, this impossible mission that needs to be taken. You know because of a, of a nuclear like plutonium threat or whatever and like that doesn't even really matter that much it's it's more of a, a video game basically at the end of the movie yeah. <laughs> than anything else you don't you don't that's what i guess one drawback from you don't really feel the full stakes you know you don't really fully realize what's at risk nobody ever really feels like they're in that much danger it's no. a very very plot armor heavy you know yeah for sure but that doesn't even matter because you just you're just in it you fully suspend your disbelief and you're just along for the ride at least I was, and clearly most of the world was, as it's one of the like highest grossing movies of uh, of all time now. It was just really cool to, like you said before, when in the early part of it, like this is Tom Cruise getting back to his element a little bit. Yeah. The, the scenes that he has with Val Kilmer are yeah, just so good, beautiful. They yeah. really are. Yep. I teared up uh, all three times that I've seen this movie. I I teared up at those scenes and just like both of them are just acting like crazy mm-hmm. and, and bringing their absolute very best. You feel every bit of history. Yeah, um, exactly. They, these are just characters that they've played, but they 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 bring it, and you you fully buy in that these are a real legitimate friendship between the two of them. And yeah, it's just really good. 
definitely, you know, nitpicks. You know, you can you can tear it down a bit, but it's just just a good time. I really liked it, and that's my number three is Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I'm with you. I never really cared for Top Gun, the first yeah. one. Like, I, it's almost a point of contention with some with some people because it's like their all time favorite movie. But I I never liked it at all. I never liked any of it, <laughs> and so I was not. I was like, yeah, this will be fine. But like, Top Gun Maverick blew me away. I mean, yeah. it's like a thousand times better. I mean, a million times better than yeah. the first. One. It's so much better. But yeah, it's, especially seeing it in a theater was amazing. Yeah, um, just amazing. I think I actually saw that in IMAX too. That was yeah, well worth it. Mm-hmm. All right, so my number three is something you alluded to earlier. And this one could have been two or three for me, really. Uh, it's Banshees of Inishirin. I don't think I've heard of that one. What was it? Yeah, I know. Huh. Uh, I said it in Irish. Mm, that, that's what it was. I, I didn't <laughs> pick up on it. Could you put some subtitles on the screen for me? I do I do get that because it, the accents are, are super thick and sometimes they're difficult to understand. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I absolutely love this movie. It's it's stuck with me ever since I watched it. I have thought about it at least at least two or three times a week. I mean, I, I think about this movie a lot. It, it's grown on me too. I mean, I loved it when I first saw it, but it, it's really just kind of stuck around and really grown on me. Basically like, uh, like all of Martin McDonald's movies, there's like, a, there's a lot going on below the surface. I feel like this is like just the perfect Irish film and that it's super funny, but it's like so funny. It'll break your heart. <laughs> and there are, there are several scenes in here that are just absolutely heartbreaking. But it never loses. It like never loses that, not comedy, but it, it never loses that kind of. It's not necessarily light either. Yeah. It just never loses that air of 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 humor to it. Like it always has that kind of going on, which I feel like all of his all of his films have that too. Mm-hmm. I feel like every 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 scene and dialogue, every line of dialogue, every interaction, everything is like just perfectly placed in this movie. Like there's not a, a wasted scene in it. Like everything has its place and like is intentional. What I loved about this was like the allegory of Brendan Gleeson and, and Colin Farrell's characters where they've been friends, best friends literally forever. And then just one day Brendan Gleeson's like, I'm done with you. I don't want to, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And he literally would rather bring pain and like literally hurt himself than spend time with Colin Farrell. Like he doesn't, he like doesn't want to spend time with him so much that he would hurt himself. He would. In more ways than one. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And in doing so, like, he hurts, like, the entire little village that they're a part of. And, like, at, at, the, at the end, Colin Farrell essentially is, like, basically says, like, you know, he'll never, kind of never forget that. He might be okay, but he'll never, like, forget what happened. And there's obviously a lot that kind of goes on between them. And a lot of other things that happen, too. But, yeah, I just really loved the uh, kind of the underlying allegory there with what was going on right there on the on the mainland of of the civil war and then these two both irish people having a disagreement just simply because one one was like yeah i just don't want to you're boring i don't want to be around you anymore right it, it seems petty at first but then like throughout the movie you're like okay i kind of get it like you're you're kind of like dull and yeah exactly <laughs> and you you get that that pettiness or whatever and that's like i'm, I'm sure that's kind of how you know, when the, when that when the Civil War started, it was like, you know, it was over something petty or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, over a slight or something like that, you know. Yeah. And then it actually it leads to something larger. So It popped in my head now. I, hold on. Even add to my review of it is like, 
the fact that Gleason just goes to such extremes. Mm-hmm. It really calls to mind like one of the old sayings my grandma used to say used to to cut off your nose to spite, spite your face. face yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that's a perfect allegory mm-hmm. for the, his character. Yeah. Exactly. He just yep doesn't know when to quit. Doesn't mm-hmm. know how to. Doesn't seem to know any other way to express himself. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So Banshee's a finisher. Yeah. Absolutely. Could have easily been second. Speaking of second, Ray, <laughs> my number two movie is a. A film called Nope. Nope. It came out over the summer and is the new Jordan Peele movie. He's been on these lists before for me. Um, I'm, I'm sure probably yourself as well. That was kind of before we did any podcasting together. Mm-hmm. But we've, we've talked about Mr. Peele before. I really didn't know what to expect. I avoided a lot of the trailers on purpose yeah. because I didn't want to know anything going into it. Part of the, the surprise of everything is, is part of the... The joy of, uh, of a Jordan Peele movie, in my mind. Even, like, going in blind to get out, his first movie. Like, I, I was like, yeah, this, I'm not going to, you know, this is how I want to experience everything he does. And, exactly. And I absolutely will, because he's definitely a treasure. He's He's got things uh, to say that are just on another level, really. He, he, he <laughs> There's so many ways to interpret this movie that you get a different, like, feeling on each watch through, basically. And it is just so well shot. I really, really love the the vistas of the the countryside. Uh, you get a lot of wide sweeping shots. Just the camera work itself. And the camera is a character in this movie. Yeah. Absolutely, hundred percent. The acting is just incredible. I just I don't want to really give away any like plot. Like I said, you know, it's a very moving movie about man versus nature and also like familial ties. Like yeah. It has a lot of deep. Uh, introspective moments about both of those things yeah and then combines it with some very very cool or extremely memorable shots that just really just stick with you and it's really cool and i i think i think most people would enjoy it it's it's one you you should check out if if you didn't have any desire to before just give it a try Uh, it has a a classic peel opening shot it's basically like a little mini movie in itself so so stick through that and then you know, give it another 10, 15 minutes to see if you are, are hooked or not. I think that's easily enough to, to want to stick it through. Yeah, it just all culminates in a, in a very beautiful ending. It's also slightly troubling and mm-hmm. has its own questions. And it's just a lot of a lot of interesting stuff. It's a very, very good film. That was Nope. Yeah, I really enjoyed Nope. Another one was like right there for me, almost yeah. on my list. I need to rewatch that one too. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited too. I'm planning to get the 4K here soon. Yeah, that's it's, it's, it's such a beautiful movie. Yeah, it was fantastic. So my number two is the Batman. Oh, it's pretty much number one for me for most of the year, but I I just love Batman. I love Batman movies, so it's not like a real surprise. <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not super shocked over here. Yeah, uh, it's, for me though, this is uh, it's the most uniquely shot Batman film that I've ever seen the frame, like the way that the camera frames specific scenes, the movement, all that stuff is extremely unique for this uh, specific Batman. I like how it's its own thing. It doesn't really try to do what the other one, the previous versions have done at the same time. I feel like it's like the perfect marriage of the Tim Burton's Gothic vision of Batman and then Christopher Nolan's real world setting. I feel like it's a really good marriage of both of those because it still feels, I mean, 
obviously with that score too, which is amazing, super operatic. Um, so you have that kind of operatic score and then you have like a, a, a real world setting that kind of helps it. The rain is just another element that I loved about it. Obviously ties to seven. You kind of get that neo-noir detective Batman, which we've never seen really on the big screen. I thought that was a great idea. Like I said, it's trying to do something that you've never seen with Batman is very difficult. So I like that they, they, they did that. I really like that Batman's his use, uh, or his, basically his weapon is fear through intimidation at the beginning. He's not really stealthy. I mean, he is to a certain extent, but he's also like, he's not because that, that first uh, entrance with him, he definitely wants them to know that he's there. He makes an entrance. I think that's one big thing. Like he knows how to make an entrance in this movie. The sound design in this movie is just incredible. The Batmobile is a demon. It is, man. It is like legit scary. Like when it, when it starts up, it is amazing. The boot steps, like when he's walking, like they really want to kind of induce fear. Like that's the whole kind of mo for Batman is in this one especially is to kind of for the enemy to take notice, the bad guys to take notice, and to to bring fear. And it's also like an interesting way to build on Batman's mythology. So you start, you know, this first film, you start with that and you kind of build off of there. Love the voiceover. That's like a perfect noir kind of feel, you know. I thought that was awesome. I like how even though the the, the film is visually dark, it's not muddy. Like they, so many times I feel like you get shots that are in, in either dark places or wherever and you can't make anything out because it's just dark. But I think that's it's usually an issue where it's just, you know, everything's too muddy. It's, it's running together, so you can't differentiate anything. It, a, lot of, a lot of it is shot at, at night or in, in dark places, but you can always tell where things are. Like, it, it's, it never muddies anything up. And, I mean, that's not really easy to do. I think yeah. the cinematography in this is just incredible for that reason, too. So my favorite thing with this is the thematic storytelling and that's how Batman starts out as uh, the shadow, as vengeance, as fear. He like literally appears out of the darkness to beat all these criminals, you know. But once he realizes that two years of that type of vigilantism doesn't really, or what, what kind of what it's done to men like the Riddler and his his group, once he realizes that they think that they're on the same side, that they're doing the same thing, once he realizes that that's not really working. That's when at the at the end of the film when he actually saves he you know actually saves people instead of you know him showing or them showing him like beating those guys to a pulp or whatever that shot of him saving people is him like literally shows him bringing people out of darkness into light and so you start the movie with him coming out of darkness basically to beat people up and this one he's actually bringing people out of darkness and he's leading them into the light I just thought that was really cool. I love that theme kind of throughout, and also, like I said before, it's like a really interesting way to 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 build off of that. Like, what are how are they going to kind of do that next? Um, and at the end of the film, he's in how in the in the daylight, and he's like, um, you know, basically saving people. So I I really thought that was really interesting. I mean, I could probably talk about this movie forever, <laughs> but basically, all all the techno aspects of it are are fantastic, and I think Matt Reeves just did a great job with it. Sorry, Zach, I know you hate it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, I just loved it. I, I've seen it three times. I'll probably watch it again soon. <laughs> uh, I own it, but if you don't, it's on HBO Max. Ah, moment of truth. Here it is. Number one film of last year for each of us. 
Mine is everything, everywhere, all at once. No way. It is. That's mine yeah. too. <laughs> we did it again. We We've green knighted it. it. <laughs> We've done it again. All right. Yeah, this was very uh, apt title because it literally Jeez. throws everything at you from everywhere all at once. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a, the complete mishmash, a perfect multiverse tale. Mm-hmm. I've been a fan of this type of storytelling since I was a kid, reading comic books, reading science fiction novels, and it's it's just such a well-written and well-filmed movie. Like, the Daniels just completely nailed it. I was very blind really going into the movie uh, into the theater watching this not really knowing at all what to expect and it drug me to to several different levels i as people have seen or not seen necessarily but heard on the podcast and maybe seen in real life i have a very distinct laugh whenever i get out of control uh to where it goes very high-pitched although i'm a large fellow it it, the deeper voice it it's a kind of a contrast and I definitely varble laughed several times at this film, <laughs> and very, very often within two or three minutes, I was sobbing. Yeah. And this movie just has such an effect on like emotions. Yeah. That it's it's insane. It really is. I've I don't know that I've ever had any movie do this in such a way. Like the the highs and the lows are just right. perfectly balanced and out of nowhere, but they make sense and. It's such a loving movie about family and about just being there for each other when you don't think you can be or don't think you should be or don't want someone to be. Mm-hmm. And they they are. They're there. And, man, I just the, the, the way that they do this throughout all the different universes and throughout all the different, like, random things, like, uh, it's just so, so incredible. This, this movie just is insane I, I loved every minute of it and i have on several watch throughs now I've, I've seen it four times and i yes. can't i can't wait to see it again yeah. I mean, it just it really really is so cool and man i don't I, I, this is another one i could just go on forever with but I'll, I'll let you take some some action here too since it's also your number one yeah absolutely help, help I, me out here, buddy. <laughs> um like you I, I don't know if i've ever had an experience like this in the theater with another movie i mean it was it's it's really hard to kind of describe describe what I felt. I mean, it was un it's truly un, unbelievable. It's I love that this movie is so weird and it wears its weirdness on its sleeve and it doesn't care and it's yes. just weird and it like owns it and it works like perfectly. It, it it is exactly what it needs to be. Like you said, you laugh, you cry, you're absolutely in awe. I mean, there there are scenes where I would just I didn't know what to do. My mm-hmm. mind was like just exploding. <laughs> but also at the end, I was left with such joy, like euphoria. I, I've never, I've never felt that. I've never had a movie make me feel like that before. And it literally was, it was just euphoria, uh, just absolute joy immensely. And I, I, I just love this movie so much. What you were like, you were mentioning some things about it. I, I really like what it's kind of what it says about essentially like you're, you're, there's, there's never like a wrong time to to break out and to do what you really want to do. Um, like the the lead character Michelle Yeoh is, I mean, in real life she's probably in her what fifties. Yeah, maybe close to 60, sixty. Yeah. Um, I don't know what she's how old she is in, in in the film, but I mean, you know, it's 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 very much her whole life. She's 
wanted to do this other thing, you know, but she's kind of been afraid to do certain things. But with when the when the film happens, she's kind of she's not really forced to do it, but it's this impetus to get her to to move, to change, to to be the person that she's supposed to be. And that was like a really powerful message for me because it doesn't it doesn't matter how how old you get or how old you are or or what's come before or whatever. You know, if, if there is a, a way for you to to or if there's a thing that you've you've always wanted to do or something that really calls to you, you got to do it. I mean, there's there's no time like the present. And that's I think what this movie is, is really saying that there isn't. And we don't we're not obviously not to get super cliche, but we're, we're not promised tomorrow. So if there's something that you've always wanted to do with your life, you got to do it. You got to take that step. You know, and I, I really felt really inspired by this movie. I mean, it's super inspiring. But yeah, I, I just, I absolutely love it. I, I, actually, I don't think I've loved a movie this much in a long time. Yeah, it's, it's been a while for me, and I just, I will, I will hold this one close for a long time. Yeah, it's, a, it's another one that's very therapeutic. Uh, yeah, something else I wanted to mention is like, they always validate that you should feel your feelings. Don't yep. be ashamed. You know. There are times when you're going to be a shitty person, yeah. but that's your true self at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like everybody goes through it. Yeah. You know, you're going to be happy. You're going to be sad. You're going to be angry. And you, you are perfectly validated in feeling that at that moment, because that's who you are and how you feel. You should yeah. never be ashamed of it. And, you know, it's just, it, it's, it happens. It's a, it's a walk of life for everyone. And it's just so, so cool. Whenever everybody realizes that towards the end. Yeah. And yeah, it's, and just, yeah, every performance in this is, is amazing. Yeah. I just loved loved it so much. Yeah, it's it's one of those that was uh, surprisingly powerful for me. I was not, I mean, I really didn't know like you. I didn't know yeah. what to expect from it at all. Right. <clears throat> I enjoyed Swiss Army Man, so I knew I was going to have exactly some fun, exactly. But, I mean, I really had no idea that it was going to do this to, to right. Me. I didn't realize I was going to have that. It was going to have that effect on me. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I, I can't I can't recommend this movie enough. And right. from a lot of people that have seen it that I know that, you know, most people have really liked it. I mean, I'm sure it's not for everyone, like every movie, but, um, I would, I just can't recommend it enough. You got to give it a shot. Absolutely. And it's also just visually amazing too. Yeah. I'm not actually sure it does. Is it streaming? Do you know? It's on show, actually streaming on Showtime. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Cool. So you can watch it if you can just get a real cheap free trial on, uh, Amazon prime and check it out. There you go. All right. Well, that was everything everywhere. All at once. As a, as a as a dual number one two years in a row now for us. Yeah, it's pretty pretty wild. I wonder if we'll we'll break that streak this year. I hope so. I'm gonna I'm gonna make something really wild. My number one movie next year. Just I'm gonna to, just yeah. To fuck with you. I'm gonna um make the movie I hated the worst. I'm oh. gonna make that number one next yeah. year just to see. Yeah. <laughs> no, I won't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, be, no, it's just head game. Like, okay, what movie did Ray hate the most? <laughs> so I can put it number one also. <laughs> All right, well, uh, I guess you want to wrap up real quick. We'll go through the, the, the ten again for both yeah, of them. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, just to, to remind people in case the, the naming after the talk didn't help. Um, for my uh, years past, we had The Wailing, Child's Play 2, Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat, Julie and Julia, Drive My Car, Let the Right One In, Possession, A Few Good Men, Nightmare Alley, and Twelve Angry Men. And then for 2022, I had Rescue Rangers, Triangle of Sadness, Doctor Strange the Multiverse of Madness, Smile, Banshees of Inishirin, The Northman, X, 
Top Gun Maverick, Nope, and everything, everywhere, all at once. Alrighty, so for my first time watches, add Alligator, Cutter's Way, The Right Stuff, Capote, Everest, the documentary, Time Crimes, Devil in a Blue Dress, Extreme Prejudice, Prince of the City, and my number one was Sullivan's Travels. Then, uh, let's see, films from 2022, Navalny, which is a documentary, RRR, which is craziness, Barbarian, Prey, The Menu, All Quiet on the Western Front, Tar, Banshees and then a Sharon, The Batman, and Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Well, thanks again, Ray. It was a fun time as always. Yeah, I always have a great time on here. Good. I love talking movies. Good deal, dude. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll uh, meet back up soon and discuss some, some Oscar stuff, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and until next time, this has been The A to Z Show. Uh, check us out on Twitter, at The A to Z Show. Um, let us know what you think of the list. Have you seen anything? Uh, does your list differ? Is there something you want to let us know about? Um, hit us up and uh, we'll uh, we'll share it out. So thanks, and we'll talk to you next time.